WB bets on Wesley Snipes, Eminem is acting, and James Bond goes home. This week on 30 Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 302010, another episode where I have to apologize for my voice. I hope you had a happy Halloween, because if you can hear my voice, I definitely did. Lots of screaming, partying, yelling, for the first time in several years. Yes. Welcome to the Christmas season. <laughs> I'm one of your hosts. No. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista, who is with me. I'm Diana Goodman, and we're going to talk about a very important movie about rap this week, so I want to say sincerely... All I want to do is zoom a zoom zoom and a poom poom. <laughs> Just shake your rump. Somebody's filled with the Yuletide. Uh, who else is with us? And I'm J.R. Rawls, and if you play roulette, always bet on white. Pasty, pasty white. Maybe with a little pink. I but mean... Pasty white with a little, little pink. Bet on that. Yeah, maybe for one of the franchises <laughs> here. I, we'll, we'll see. Oh, it's going to be a fun week. There's a really... Goose, there's no white in roulette. I know. Not not. There's n- green. I mean, maybe, green might be. A- maybe in heaven. <laughs> I don't, we don't know. God might allow you to gamble for what I don't know. It's it's a really fun week here. Every week has something notable inside of it. One of my favorite movies in one of the biggest franchises in the world happens this week as well. So you know, stay tuned because I I feel like Diane in particular is going to have a lot to say about it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, I, I got limbered up, and we we have a bunch of weirds that we got some erotic thrillers. We got erotic yeah. thrillers trying to come back. We got something that's kind of erotic thriller that's not. Yeah, yeah, it's and, actually and, very sad and depressing. And and, and maybe uh, you know the start of like mainstreaming people of color in mainstream Hollywood action movies. Like I, I don't, I, I was really struggling to like think of. We'll talk about that in a second. Patreon.com slash LazerTime supports this show. LazerTime has got a new episode out right now. Uh, Video Game Apocalypse. I have no idea what we're doing this week, but I'm I'm really pushing something I want to talk about that I think is hilarious. But obviously new releases, all that, blah, blah, blah. We just wrapped up Elm Street Nightmare Season 3. Chucky. Ooh. Cult of Chucky. That is the... If, if I didn't say it last week, that was the franchise I was least looking forward to going through thoroughly in chronological order and it ended up becoming my favorite of all three seasons that chucky man bounces pings back and forth and not unlike marvel never loses its continuity even when you think they're refreshing everything crazy such a weird franchise it just goes places other horror franchises would never go and more often than not it sticks the landing it succeeds it's it's the right it's like the right kind of surprises in addition to getting gorier and just long, long tail storyline surprises. Very neat. Uh, Patreon.com slash laser time. Five bucks is where you get that. Uh, we're talking about November 4th through the 10th in the year 1992, 2002, and 2012. If you don't know what 302010 does, we are a lovely little journey across the decades, 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Show you how far we've been, how old you've gotten in particular this episode. Cause I know there's a lot of people who are going to be kind of blindsided with one of the things that is, it's got to make you feel old. Sorry, kid. It's 20 years old. 20 years no. old. The, no, impossible. Other great things to talk about. And I think 
kind of momentous occasions in film and television alike. And and this is the traditionally we're stepping into the greatest window of video game releases right before the holiday season as well. So there's a lot to talk yep. about there. Moving on to 1992. We're recording from November 4th through the 10th. We got a little bit of news to bring into the world of 30 years ago. I, I vaguely remember this mostly from monologues uh the revenge match of the 20th century american chess grandmaster bobby fisher defeats russian boris Spassky to win an unofficial match in belgrade yet another analogy for our problem with the russians who wow. who is the we best? were supposed to be having a problem with the russians then but this is a rematch 20 years in the making yes they, it was the world chess championship uh, from 1972 and yet it made a big deal about oh boy it's Oh, who's better, Chest America or Russia? I just love that it's an unofficial match. You know, I'm just picturing dirt bikes riding around them, <laughs> a large of bikers cheering. Bobby Ooh, Fisher. Bobby Ooh, Fisher throws sand in Boris's eyes. <laughs> but yeah, all throughout the Cold War, it was a classic thing of right. Uh, what can we beat the Russians at? What can the Russians beat us at? And Russians were always, always really good at chess. So to have an American who could go up against them, yeah, it was yeah, a bit Diana, of we're not that War. far removed from rocky four and <laughs> well before mainstream pr conflicts with russia were in the news everywhere they were cheating at other sports to best us as well it is very much still an inflamed issue that i don't understand even a little bit yeah but it's really hard to cheat at chess yeah. <laughs> he's got a rook in his sleeve <laughs> it's like yeah, I guess even it if be... your opponent isn't looking at the board someone's looking at the board right, right? Yeah, yeah, someone's yeah. gonna notice eh, we're missing some pawns guys i mean yeah it's got to be impossible to cheat at chess i would imagine well uh sometimes oh. they have microphones right. uh so that oh, you can have right. teams of people tell you what to do that's, or... that's the scandal right now is whether someone had something up their butt that would vibrate huh? and yep. send them messages. Yes, that's yep. a thing happening right now in 2020. Well, of course I did. But like, <laughs> why am I going to do anything different when playing chess? And also in the news this week, the Church of England approves the ordination of female priests. Great, ladies. Yay. Now you can now you can also no longer own land. Or I, this is the Church of England, my bad, not Catholic. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, this is a further step of the Church of England moving away from the Catholic Church. You know, slowly over 400 years, they're getting further and further. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was surprised to look up because it's very confusing, the Church of England versus the Anglican Communion, which is like all of the Church of England churches that aren't in England. And some of them had started to ordain women, hmm. but for... The mothership to do it was kind of a big deal. Yay. And I don't They're remember. They're allowed to get married and everything. Wow. But that solves a lot of problems. You're looking at this Pope. Instead of asking nuns to delete porn from their phone, which was a thing he said last week in, in our Lord's year of two, two, 2022. Moving. And then lastly, like uh, another one of those technolog technological things that I like. I think there was a, these programs were in beta as of last year, but they not only get finalized at least one of them gets its final name. Apple's QuickTime and Windows Media Player release in their final formats on both OSs, because I don't even think Linux wow. is around yet. The same week. That's that's amazing. I mean, if you think about it, those are huge. We are, video on the internet is, so, is really in its infancy, and if one of them is doing it, everybody's got to do it. They both got to do I, it. I mean, I'm just picturing it. It's like for Encarta, right? It, yeah, I don't know. That's yeah. what inventing it. Yeah, I don't know what it's for because like even now it's like it's of a lower resolution than we weren't even calculating resolutions and how low this resolution video player was. But 
there had been video video players, media players in OSs before, but this was specifically for video. They saw this coming, and 30 years ago, we all got, no matter what OS you had, you got a video player. I'm just going to say it was 4P. Yeah. It was <laughs> it was a, a 1P look um, with Bozo the Clown commenting over the Hindenburg disaster. All the finest public domain footage you could enjoy on the internet. I remember yeah, I that Hindenburg it. thing, though. I remember yeah. being amazed by it. Yeah. And all thanks to QuickTime. It's one of the first things I remember <laughs> seeing in video on the internet, the Hindenburg. Yeah. It seems like this is something you could release, you know. You can own a music video. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. That that is happening. Like I think, yeah. In, in like just two years, people will put music videos on their CD, the CD format, yeah. CD plus, or have a weird name. And full, full motion video in video games, so Tim Curry can tell you about Spice. Spice. Oh my God! This is neither the time nor the place. But Diana, I just I cannot believe I just saw Rocky Horror Picture Show for the first time. I, that's for uh, another I time. I haven't seen how, it either yet. How did you escape being a dirtbag teen? Yeah, and ending up at, at Rocky Horror Picture Show. Jr. I assume you were not a dirtbag as much no. of a dirtbag as Chris clearly was. But <laughs> no, come on, I was a uh, Diana. You and I went to a ton of movies together. They like right when I got to the Bay Area, they sort of stopped the regular Rocky Horror Picture Show, and it was kind of limited to once a year, if that. And it was easy. I saw the room in the same venue like 60 times. The, it, the opportunity never presented itself. And that's how I wanted to see it in, in a live yeah. setting and just never got the opportunity. And turns out a bunch of my friends are like, were aghast that I'd never seen it. And it's just like, before <laughs> we go out, we're watching this whole movie. I'm like, fine. I, I've been, this has been on my list. Anyway, anyway, moving on. Movies of 1992, November 4th through the 10th. Man Bites Dog. Uh, this looks Frenchy. Uh, it is Frenchy. It is. This is one of those tough watches that was very NC-17 in the States and became very hard to get your paws on mm -hmm. because it, you know, they're not going to carry it at most, you know, a chain blockbusters or whatever. They're mm -hmm. not going to carry it. It's a, it's a French movie about a documentary crew following a serial killer around filming him kill people. Wow. And then they start getting more and more involved in his crimes. And it's, obviously meant to push buttons it's meant to be a media satire it is real graphic and pretty disturbing there's debate online of so did he like kill that baby or no awesome what a great conversation great great times and you know you can get a, there's like, a bounty if you report that in texas sorry yeah uh, among film nerds uh in the 90s it was kind of like it's like faces of death, but like we all know that's fake. But this is like, can you stand to watch Man Bites Dog? And it's like you're kind of missing the point if it's just, you know, like a Serbian film of you're just trying to get through it because I'm so fucking tough. It's like it's a satire. There's a point to this. Right. It's reminding me but, of Natural Born yeah. Killers, the Robert Downey Jr. character. Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They they are within the same universe. Yeah. So mm -hmm. Man Bites Dog. I think it's pretty good. I haven't watched it in 20 something years because, yeah, it's it's a tough watch. You're watching a serial killer be very pleased and forthright about. Yep. I like killing old people because it's harder for them to run. Hey. Oh, gross. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. It's a. Uh, it's an interesting one. And uh, we also got this week Traces of Red with uh, Michelle Joyner, Faye Grant, William Russ, Tony Goldwyn, Lorraine Bracco, and James Belushi 
Diana's favorite actor of the entire decade. You know who I want to see in an erotic thriller? Oh. Oh. In a neo-noir about sexy, sexy times, and there's a killer on loose. Who could it be? Could it be the fourth build guy? It's always a fourth build guy. <laughs> you know what would be you, you know what erotic thrillers haven't had up till now that they really needed? Bill Murray's haircut. I bring you James <laughs> Belushi. Uh, fantastic. Whatever you want to call that bird from the 80s. Jesus. Oh, the reputation on this one is not good. I admit I didn't get around to it. Anyone? No. No, No, I was looking at the wrong doc up until a few hours ago. I'm lucky I got as far as I did. Yeah, yeah, we got two sexy detective movies up against each other. Uh, Neither one of them does very well. And this is the less reputable of the two. Do you think that might coincide with video players on the internet and the need to watch sexy things in a movie theater released by major Hollywood studios is lessening by the minute? Potentially. Mm. Potentially. Mm-hmm. I don't remember because I was downloading a JPEG of Tila Tequila and it took three hours. And then next Not time, in 1992, I hope. She would have been like a toddler. Oh, goodness. I, what did I just fucking... <laughs> Uh, no, no, you would have been downloading picture of Lois, Lois, Lois and Clark, yes. wrapped in the Superman cape. I'm going to say the wrong character reference, Dolores from Seinfeld, because I am totally at a loss for her name. Holy shit. <laughs> Terry Hatcher. Hatcher. There it is. Terry Hatcher. There it is. Dolores. And then also Kevin Conway, Graham Beckel, Kathy Baker, Lance Henriksen, John Malkovich, Uma Thurman, Andy Garcia, and Jennifer Eight. Uh, Also my favorite SoCal punk band. Yeah, another one. Oh, there's... He, he's a cop on the edge. He ends up in like Eureka, Northern California. I think there's a serial killer. No, there's not. Okay, yes, there is. And and it's they're targeting blind women because, again, fish in a barrel. What the fuck, dude? That's cheating. You're not really a serial yeah. killer if you're killing people that can't see you coming. Oh, Come on. Come yeah, on, up your game. Killers at the serial killer convention go, uh, I don't know. We're not letting mm-hmm. you in. No, come on. I mean, I guess they have an advantage. Like, I've seen Wait Until Dark, so okay, there's points where they can just knock out all the lights and now they have an advantage. But yeah, it's just sort of, yeah, it's just weird that it's by Bruce Robinson, who did With Nail and I, and was like trying to get a big Hollywood break, and this just failed. And he was like, that's it, I won't have a big Hollywood break. And then he didn't make another movie until The Rum Diary in 2011, and that also failed. And he's like, well, fuck. Johnny Depp playing Hunter Thompson again. Who would who could who could have thought it would fail? Yeah, dear Lord. Yeah, Jennifer Eight is, and I don't know. I and I think the biggest news of the week is that we don't have to mention Steven Seagal are under siege for a while because it's knocked off the box office by another action movie from the same studio. Another Die Hard on a blank. Yeah, I. Remember Die Hard on a Blank jokes being made by like comedians around mm-hmm. this time, but until I started 30 2010, it wasn't like emotionally real to me. <laughs> but now I like have so much sympathy for Roger and Siskel to just okay, it's another one of these. Yep. But All but right. it, I I think it's significant because it, uh, Wesley Snipes has been in things before, but never as like the absolute main character who you're following through the entire movie. I don't think that has happened for him yet, except with maybe Spike Lee. Yeah, he's, he did Jungle Fever, yes. but that's not you know a big. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling it, to if think. Nothing of... else. This is his breakout role. This there is you the go. one when he became yeah. a star who could be like, "Fuck you, pay me." You yes. Know? Yeah, he can open a movie. I he mean, New Jack City is fucking great in it, but this is... All right, we got a new action star, everybody. Mm-hmm. Along with Brett Rice, Ernie Lively, Mark McCauley, Michael Horse. Is that a real name? Elizabeth Hurley. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, he is from Twin Peaks. I was like, oh, no. 
Don't be evil. Michael Horse. Hawk, what are you doing? Bruce Greenwood. Wasn't he in a flight last week? Alex Dresser. Uh, Liz Hurley with natural eyebrows looks so much like Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> I was really distracted. Uh, Tom Sorry, Sizemore, anyway. Bruce Payne, and Wesley Snipes. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Passenger 57. The flight is in the air. Hijackers are on board. Who's in charge? You are. One passenger is fighting back. You, back to your seat. God, freeze! Wesley Snipes is passenger 57. Chill out. I'm one of the good guys. Terror at 40,000 feet and climbing. Passenger 57. Tell me, Jim I'm the best. Rated R. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I, I think... Haven't we all watched this like a thousand times in the first time? Really? Yeah. I watched oh. it for 30, 20, 10, first time. And I'm getting <laughs> tired of action films, yo. <laughs> yeah. I am just, I mean, it's not a bad film. Don't get me wrong. It's a competently well-made film. Yeah. The acting's fine. It's, but it's nothing special. And I have just seen yeah. too many action films in too short of a time right to to care about them that's why i sympathize with with roger and siskel Uh, they had to do this for 30 years and i'm like at month 11 and i'm like oh come on god damn it (laughs) this is fun because it is fun to see that it's yeah a month after under siege yeah which is is die hard on a boat but it elevates the material somehow Mm -hmm. and this manages to degrade the material somehow like it's definitely not as good as under siege i'll just say that even though wesley yeah. snipes is a way better action star well it's, it doesn't have tommy lee it jones is, as the villain and yeah oh the villain in this is a cartoon caricature of every british villain that we've had since hans grouper he his, is his name so should be funny. monocle high top the third because he is just, <laughs> I'm British and evil. And that I'm is the extent so of my character. Evil. I'm a terrorist, but I won't tell you what for. Because as we all know, <laughs> all terrorists do not have specific political goals. They're just no. terrorist terrorists. I just like murdering people. And somehow I've gotten a bunch of people to help me in doing this. Even though there's nothing in it for what them. do they get? What, nothing. what nothing. do they get from following this dude? Nothing. I guess they're, in this case, they're helping him escape custody because he was about to get plastic surgery. And they're like, if he finishes that plastic surgery, we'll never catch him. And it's like, he still has fingerprints, bitch. <laughs> That's very, very silly. So also, if you get plastic <sighs> surgery, it's not like you can just jump out and be perfectly fine and be ready to sprint 10 miles after Tell having that- your face <laughs> put on tell that to db cooper man looks like one guy yeah so so yeah the plot of this is mr lord evelington is an international terrorist (laughs) and they put him on this flight because they're they're extraditing him to somewhere meanwhile wesley snipes is this a security trainer for this airline who is also on the plane and so he gets to put all his hard work into practice with dealing with the evil and here's the thing a lot of this movie is not die hard on a plane because they bring the plane down right i was actually disappointed by how so disappointed die hard on a plane it was Mm. yeah then they bring the plane down and then it becomes the saddest shit show of hostage negotiating you have ever seen with this fucking redneck sheriff who just like lets people wander in and out of this crime scene and like oh well he says he's gonna you know 
give us some hostages, so I'll just me and my two deputies have a handle on this. We're fine. Meanwhile, the bad I mean, guy he sneak is, off. He is just uh, such a. I don't need the FBI to tell me what to do. I'm a small town <laughs> sheriff, so I'm well versed in hostage <laughs> negotiations on a moving airplane. <laughs> Yeah, it was like, you don't even call in another deputy. There's three guys dealing with a plane full of 200 people, and they're saying, we're going to shoot a passenger every minute until you refuel us. And then, like, about as much of the movie is Die Hard on a Plane, and the rest is sneaking around a carnival. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That <laughs> guy sneak around a carnival. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's really stupid. It has maybe the last great saxophone-heavy score, though. It's some very 80s, mm-hmm. super sexy saxophone for that's, everything. That's why I think it's, 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 it's... a shirtless guy with, like, fire breathing out yeah. as he's playing the saxophone. That's why I think this movie is special, because I watched it a lot with my black friends growing up. And, uh, you know, our black friends out there, I'm not... I'm not terribly clear what action heroes look like. I am aware of Fred Williamson and some of the other black exploitation people, but I I don't know that Warner Brothers was giving these roles to black actors at this point. These action based roles. The no. only one I can think of. Would you accept Beverly Hills Cop as an actor? I I, I was gonna make an exception. Mm. Comedy and like in romantic comedies, that seems to be already happening but like i had written down in my notes that was very sounded very lauren michaels of you right um (laughs) but but like uh i was like we've been doing 30 2010 this is still clint eastwood's domain like he is making the modern day cop die hard on this and that movie he's still doing that and this movie started out as a clint eastwood movie and it got it got rewritten and rewritten and rewritten until like it became something that i think is pretty well regarded in the black community as it why wouldn't sure. it be? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think that it's more important than good. There you go. <laughs> I think it's definitely more important as a, as a major step forward. And seeing that, yeah, Wesley Snipes, of course, yes, he can do action. Yeah. He has a lot of martial arts training. Yeah, he's so really good at that. It, it's so much. Which... He's elevating his material, but the most of it is so, so wackety schmackety stupid. I was really hoping for kind of like another Air Force One, which is a way mm. better Die Hard on a Plane movie. And this is like, once they bring the plane down... And they're sneaking around a fucking carnival. I was like, oh no, please get back on the plane and start kicking some ass. Oh, he does. Like, there's a couple good stunts of him, like, jumping onto the wheel of the plane, but it's so dumb. Planes are such a confined space Mm -hmm. that they would have really had to be smarter than they are. Mm -hmm. They would have had Mm -hmm. to really, like, work. How can we keep the action tense? How can we keep it on the plane? while still having multiple action you know it would need to have like somehow he has to work his way from the toilet to the cockpit i don't know how you make that work yeah i don't know yeah you got to do a bigger plane like air force one where there's lots of rooms and hidey holes and executive decision i i think i don't think i've ever been on one of those two-story planes before but that typically is where you Mm -hmm. set your action movies in on on a plane even even yeah, even like, Die Hard Two is mostly at an, a plane. at an airport, yeah. not a, not an in an airplane. And yeah, um, <laughs> I know, like I kind of want to recommend this as a good bad movie because especially the bad guy is such a fucking parody. Uh, it's just, it's, it's so one of those, over the top. I watch this a bunch, and I feel unqualified to say whether it's good or not. It doesn't matter that much <laughs> to me, but I can see why it would matter to others. Like uh, absolutely, yeah. Don't love it. I feel like it falls into dumb 80s action, even though we're in 1992. Yeah. It, it has a very 
80s silliness to it. Yeah, it just wasn't entertaining for me. It was too much of a halfway point. It wasn't mm-hmm. yeah. good enough and serious enough, and it wasn't balls to the wall crazy enough. Yeah, I don't think it was. Yeah. It wasn't written yeah. to break the bank. It was just meant to be another one of those Clint Eastwood movies that breaks even and then makes times to its $10 million budget. Wesley Snipes elevated it to something people still talk about today. It's interesting how that works. Your second, third choice ends up making the movie more memorable than it ever would have been otherwise. I'm trying to remember the name of the, 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 the Clint Eastwood movie with Charlie Sheen we talked about like last year. Like, I don't even fucking remember what it was called. Because <laughs> <laughs> he made like three movies like that, like across, the, and they're not Dirty Harry movies. He's just a yeah. cop who kicks ass. And then we get Seagal, and like we're heading out and getting Seagal, Jackie Chan, and Wesley Snipes, people who can actually fight. So we're getting different kinds of action movies, I think, moving forward. So, yeah. Yeah. It is. It is neat to see this being so many years before Blade and seeing like mm-hmm. how much, oh, the quality difference on that. It's like, yeah, this is practically exploitation, except that like they never really there is definitely an undercurrent of especially the sheriff is they're treating him like shit because he's black. They don't trust him. Mm-hmm. But that's and they always bet on black line. Besides that, it's not like brought up that much. Yeah. No, I think you could, if this was with a white protagonist, I think you could film the script near the exact same. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. Which is, honestly, that's what I always point to. That's a step forward. When you just happen to have a black person, you just happen to have a woman or an Asian guy or whatever. And it's just normal because guess what? We exist. Yeah. 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 And for that, that, it'll always be more interesting than if it would have had Clint Eastwood in it. So good on Passenger 57. Um, yeah, that's a good point. If it had like Clint Eastwood or someone, no one would remember Yeah, you'd never this remember movie. this. Yeah. You know, maybe us reminding people of that, we can uh, turn, we can get Warner Brothers back to being a normal studio again. Come on, Warner Brothers. We're all <laughs> rooting for you to come back and be normal again. Yeah. Anyway, moving it into television of 1992, November 4th through the 10th, uh, we got the Simpsons episode. Marge gets a job. Oh, I, I love this episode so much. Yes. I, I, I have to really stop myself from putting a Simpson episode every week, and then I keep mm-hmm. failing at that mm-hmm. because <laughs> I keep thinking of these episodes and how they've influenced me for my entire life. Yeah. Like, there's a scene here where Lisa is teaching Marge on how to pad her resume. And every time I've written a resume, I've kind of like thought, yeah. I mean, I'm really putting such a huge spin on this. And then there's the <laughs> great line where Smithers greets Marge and Swahili and she says, what? And he goes, oh, I'm sorry. My Swahili isn't as good as yours. <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoy the further Charles Foster canification of Charles Montgomery Burns. <laughs> that is also happening in this. Just I love this. I always love this Troy McClure bit, and it was really fun to read in the commentary. Oh, oh I think I know which one you're going to yeah, play. Yeah, it's it, here. I, not to brag, uh, I've had multiple jobs in audio and video. I'm self-taught. I Googled stuff, and I watched online tutorial videos. Have never had a formal class of any kind. Not saying I'm good at it, but I faked my way into positions. Instructional videos are among the most painful thing to watch, and they're even worse <laughs> in the internet age, because I cannot look up just audio tutorial and just... As a casual fan of the show, recognize how bad his microphone is. Why am I taking this guy's <laughs> advice? Troy McClure doing a video. They said they like just cracked open a Time Life book about foundations and just started pulling words out. So it's all accurate, but even the writers don't know what this means. Now over the next six hours, I'll be taking you through the do's and do not do's of foundation repair. Ready? Ready. First, 
Patch the cracks in the slab using a latex patching compound in a patching trowel. Hand me my patching trowel, boy. Hmm. Now, do you have extruded polyvinyl foam insulation? No. Good. Assemble the aluminum J-channel using self-furring screws. Install. What do I do After in case... After applying brushable coating to the panels... Wait a minute. You'll need some corrosion-resistant metal stucco lath. Wait a minute. If you can't find metal stucco lath... Uh-huh. Use carbon fiber stucco lath. Oh! Now barge the lath. Do you have extruded polyvinyl foam insulation? I think so. Good! Assemble the aluminum J-channel using self-furring screws. It's it's also confusing (laughs) intentionally. I love it, but... The the Simpsons Foundation being in need of repair is what requires Marge to get another job. It happened. Homeownership my, blows. My my favorite favorite line of that bit is if you can't find meadow stucco lab, yeah. use carbon fiber stucco lab. Oh. Of course. <laughs> Thank you, Troy. And just how good is Phil Hartman? I'm sure that took him like he knocked that out in like 90 seconds, having never approached those words before. Ah, love it so much. <laughs> this, are you guys aware of how memey this is? The next mm-hmm. episode uh, we're talking about Quantum Leap, yes. where Sam. Yep, that's one of the reasons I put it in there. Yeah, because uh, I have never seen this. Not not pleasant meme, but it's up there. I think it's hilarious. Because <laughs> like, it, it, I didn't say it wasn't funny. I just said it's it, not pleasant. Like, There's a difference. I never knew this episode existed. It has a very famous clip where Sam looks down at his Bullwinkle shirt and like he's in a little kid's room and realizes I'm mentally challenged. He doesn't use that word. Closes the door, <laughs> looks at himself in the mirror and sees a kid with Down syndrome. The meme is you replace that kid in the mirror with Down syndrome with whoever you're trying to take down. Like Diana Goodman, for saying that <laughs> Sam has jumped into her body. I've I have seen people. I don't even understand what it is, but like it's a ten second thing that usually makes me giggle at the crude effort made. <laughs> because Sam, that's what he does. He jumps into various bodies, mm-hmm. and then he's just like a super smart scientist, and he jumps into a mentally challenged guy. So he sees a, his mirror reflections, and he goes, "I'm Blank. the R word." And and I just yeah. and I had that music in my head memorized because usually you know it's like Kanye West or the Cleveland Indian. It's like anybody whoever wants wants somebody wants to take down, they'll Photoshop someone over the Down syndrome kid. I wish I didn't find it as funny as I did, but I here we are. But um, it's also the introduction of the evil Leaper. So this dun, is the dun, dun. what in the Down syndrome kid episode. Yeah, this is the final season of Quantum Leap, and they are really trying to get the ratings up. So they are tossing out all their rule books and trying every trick they can find to get another season so they can make syndication numbers. And it's a horrible TV cliche, but it's like, what if evil person twin... Yeah, <laughs> and it's a, it's an actually a, a great concept for the show. Right, I just don't think they developed it well. Sam is trying to set right what once went wrong. So you have an antagonist who's setting wrong what once went right, and I think that could have been great. They just didn't develop it enough. And if you look at Quantum Leap fans, there are all these theories about the evil leapers. There's a throwaway line in this episode of "We had to claw our way out of hell." Are they being metaphorical or literal? Quantum Leap fans mm. argue over the fact. And I so. have zero interest in it, but the just reminding listeners out there, the new Quantum Leap 
is addressing this canon. And uh, I don't know if Scott Bakula is in the show yet, but he, I believe there's almost no way from what I've read he will not be eventually. At this point, mm-hmm. he has said he is not going to be in it. My position is that that is a great marketing technique. Yep. And once sweeps, sweeps come in, it's going to be like, oh, guess who we got? Yeah. And he'll be like, gosh, the script was so great, I couldn't turn it down. Yeah, enterprise money. His enterprise money was not that substantial that he can turn down network TV roles, especially ones where he can no. define what he gets to show <laughs> up. I think I may mentioned this before. His most successful show is the one none of us have ever heard of. NCI Men of a certain New age. Orleans. Oh, right. Oh. Ran for like eight seasons. Okay, he may have star. fuck you money then. <laughs> so, yeah. He may have fuck you money. Also out this week, 30 years ago, 1992, Batman the Animated Series, Beware the Grey Ghost, a week late. Uh, yeah, this is <laughs> this is where we get Adam West in Batman as not Batman. Yes. This is such an inspired episode on multiple levels because they are really addressing all the versions of Batman in Batman the Animated Series. They are playing around with it, and by having Adam West play this old-timey action star, the Grey Ghost, they get to comment on the versions of Batman before them. And it is such an honestly touching scene where the Batman of the Animated Series tells Adam West that he was his idol, and he was always his hero. And I, I think it is one of the best episodes of the series and such a love letter to the versions of Batman that came before it. Yep. Yeah. Adam West deserves it. He was my first mm-hmm. Batman baby. Yeah. Well, and I love that thematically it makes sense because Batman's inspired, you know, by Zorro and the Lone Ranger and, you know, a bunch of other figures like that. So, yeah, this this version of Batman would have one of those, too. Perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was doing the math and, you know. Wow. If, I know what you're going to say. If Batman was inspired by Zorro, oh. given his age, you know which one he would have to have been inspired by? Antonio uh, Banderas. George Twilight. Hamilton? Yeah, Antonio Banderas's 2005 Legend of Zorro would have to be <laughs> the one he's inspired by. Now, here's, here's what I thought JR was going to say. Mm. If we somehow in our real universe no kayfabe get our own superhero there's a reality he would have grown up watching batman the animated series he oh, or she yeah. he or 100 she. yeah let's stick that with would that. be the right age yeah let's stick with it yes at like five years old worshiping kevin conroy's batman totally possible mm-hmm. and then moving on into games i know most people only want to hear about tailspin on genesis the uh <laughs> jesus this is i love tailspin tailspin yep. was my number one disney afternoon show I really? love DuckTales. I love Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers on the NES. It just pisses me off that we never got the great Capcom Tailspin game. There's a good Capcom Tailspin game. No, there's not. Yeah. JR, do you know what paid for? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is. But it's it's a very cute NES plane shooting game. You never get yeah, out of your Yeah, but that plane. wasn't what I wanted. I know, I get it, but this is the sec- this is still the second worst tailspin game. <laughs> That's the TurboGrafx 16 has it beat all the way. Tell you you can be the authority on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade for Genesis. Sucks. <laughs> it is like again, JR All those years in development for that? <laughs> yeah. Little JR is at the height of his indie fan love right now. I mean, just gobbling up everything. So mm-hmm. I 
was desperately eager to love this game because Last Crusade was always my favorite. And it's just such a poorly controlled game. This is one of those games that actively hates you, the player, Mm -hmm. and wants you to (laughs) die, but not in a fun way. It just wants you to suffer. I hate most Sega Genesis games. There, I said it. Yeah. What what kind of game is this? Is it? It's a platformer yeah. where okay. your controller feels like you're playing it with oven mitts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, uh, half the problem with why Genesis games, most of them do suck, is just they didn't spend the extra two months on getting good controls. Yeah, because it, 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 Genesis two embraced Western devs who didn't have a sound mechanics philosophy, whereas mm-hmm. Japan did. Yeah, the NES was an 8-bit system, mm-hmm. but like you play some of those Mario games or Zelda games and the controls are like ridiculously better yeah. than these 16-bit Sega Genesis games. Mm-hmm. It's just it's insane. I'm sure Global Gladiators for Genesis didn't fare any better, but it's it's not all terrible in the Genesis. It's not bad, Global mm-hmm. Gladiator. It's another Ronald McDonald game. What? And I have been shocked at how good this and MC Kids on the NES are actually both decent platformers. This is from the Aladdin people. (laughs) Yeah, from the Aladdin people. The only stupid thing they really do is they give you a gun that has recoil, and it's a platforming game. So you can be shooting your enemies on the ledge and Mm. shoot yourself off the ledge, which I don't know who decided that was fun. (laughs) Wow, you play as Mick and Mac. Friends yeah, of Mick Ronald McDonald. Wow. Anyway, moving on to other milestones in pop culture history. Dolores Claiborne as a book is published 30 years ago this week by Stefan King. Kodos King. King. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This is when Stephen King took a challenge. He was said, You can't really write women. So he said, Watch me, bitch. <laughs> and then he wrote a series of novels with uh, women protagonists. What a great and way to respond gener- to his female critics. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the general consensus is that he improved his ability to write women and did a very good job on on all of them. And then moving on to music of 30 years ago, 1992, October, no, November 4th through November 10th, End of the Road by Boys to Men is still number one. I'm sorry we keep mentioning this song, baby. It just won't go away. Megan, stop. But we also when have... will we reach the end of the road? We... Oh, end of the road. We also have new releases, including select... Selected Ambient Works, uh, 85 through 92 by Apex Twin, a band I had no idea was around that long. I, I thought yep. Midnight Crazy Videos is when they came about sometime in the late 90s. One of my favorite albums. Can I say? Am I allowed to say this word, Diana? I don't know where, where this stands. You have my permission for one of them. I, 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 I own this album, uh, White Trash, which I can speak for, uh, Two Hebes, and a... Shit, I didn't even think about the last one. Yep. <laughs> a new, new album by No Effects, I don't want to get in trouble for saying, describing members of the band and their ethnicities. Yeah, it's a rude synonym for Latino. Yeah. It's also a food product. Can we can we cameo Carlos Carlos Mencia to say this? I just don't feel comfortable. But <laughs> I, it's, I I do like this album by No Effects. We also have Urban Discipline by Biohazard and Something Real by Stephanie Mills. This I I, I am not an authority on rap music, but this is when I remember like I get to middle school and rap starts taking over everything. It wasn't with NWA. It wasn't with Run DMC. It was Rump Shaker by Rex and Effects. <laughs> 
Everybody loved this song when I when I was starting middle school. Rex and Effects. I don't. I cannot name you another Rex and Effects song, and we all at least owned the single tape that had another song on the other side. Don't know what it was. All we knew about is the zoom zoom and the boom boom. We will close out with that, but please don't move. There's so very much more to talk about. Ten years from now, in 2002. Coming into 2002 with Lose Yourself by Eminem, it's number one. I wonder why an Eminem song is on the charts this week. Maybe we'll talk about it in a different segment. Stay tuned for that. Because there are new music releases 20 years ago, that's in 2002, November 4th to the 10th, such as Away From The Sun by Three Doors Down, the only band to play for the 45th President's Inauguration, (laughs) Back Into Your System by Saliva. I remember them as the band. They said that in like every one of their songs. Felt, a tribute to Christina Ricci by Felt? What? Yep. Okay. All right. They, Not they wrote a, a concept album about why they like Christina Ricci. Wow. Dark Horse by Crazy Town. The Butterfly People. God, that must have been a successful follow-up. Deliverance by Opeth. Loose Screw by The Pretenders. Loyalty by Fat Joe. That's me. Riot Act by Pearl Jam. And The Blueprint 2, The Gift and the Curse by Jay-Z. Thank you. Hope. Big week. Big week. Big, Big week. week music. Chris, um, yep. Christmas sales, man. Christmas sales. That, yeah, yeah. And I, I think, I think I was reading like that is still where physical music sells the most. Like people that love makes sense to me. give gifts. It's like I think you like this. Here's a gift. I know you probably bought the song you like on iTunes, but like. Here's the special edition. It's called an album. Uh, it's, <laughs> I, I do it for people, too. Welcome to 2002, everyone. A little bit of news to bring you into what's happening 20 years ago outside of pop culture. Uh, Iraq disar- There's an Iraq disarmament crisis. The UN Security Council, under Resolution 1441, unanimously approves resolution on Iraq, forcing Saddam Hussein to disarm or face serious consequences. Here we fucking go with this bullshit. Yeah. Are they going to let in inspectors? Maybe they'll let in one inspector, but he's got to wear sunglasses. And maybe he'll let him come in, but he can't see what he saw. Maybe he'll do this. <laughs> we think he's got weapons of mass destruction because we're not busy with another war already. Right. Fuck. Um, Fuck. Right, right, right. Depressing. And, you know, I believe the what a secretary of defense would call most of this bullshit <laughs> in private. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, what a great time to be an American. I'm kidding. <sighs> So great. Well, it is great for movies. We got, uh, honestly, true. four for four this, this week. We got, we got uh, some good ones, man. First up, George Lopez, uh, Lupe, Antiveros, and America Ferrara. And Real Women Have Curves, which we j- I didn't see in, in the release list. And I really am old enough now to where I'm not sure that I heard this. Because this critically did very well. But not unlike Passenger 57, the audience it's going for is not necessarily me, and it may not have resonated as something unlike anything I've ever seen before and revelatory. But yeah. well, Passenger 57 is going for a crossover audience. They're right. not just going for a black audience. This, because it's the story of you know Latino women, mm-hmm. but it's not for Latino women. It's It has so much crossover potential that 
it's kind of amazing that this came out so close to my big fat Greek wedding mm. because there's so much crossover potential. That one worked out crossing over. This right. one didn't cross over as much, but it has subsequently been discovered by a lot of people. Oh. And it's actually in the National Film Registry. Wow. As culturally important. And I can see why, because it's about Latinas, but it's also very like, yeah, it's also about, you know, being the child of immigrants and wanting to do something better, but also like you have all these family obligations and, you know, you have a mom who's constantly helping her daughter. She thinks she's being helpful by just nitpicking her over and over about mm -hmm. you're, you're too chunky. You're, you're never going to find a husband. You need to find a husband. I should be a grandmother by now. Eh. And also like I started working at 13. Why do you get it so easy? My kids should have to work as hard as I did. Yeah. As opposed to a lot of parents are like, my goal is my children don't have to work as hard as I did. So yeah, America Ferra plays the girl. She's just graduated from high school. She wants to go to college, but she's like family obligations as her mom and her sister run, honestly, a sweatshop. <laughs> they, you know, the pressure is on and she's, she doesn't quite respect how much work they do. And she kind of comes to respect it, but also is like, you shouldn't have to work this hard for the money that you get. Like they are making dresses, they get $18 per dress and the dresses sell for $600 at Macy's. Yeah. And she's like, this is some bullshit. We should do better than this. But also her mom is like, no, no, you shouldn't because you don't respect how hard I work. Also, I have health problems. Uh, uh, oh, oh, my health. Oh, daughter, why do you do this to me when you know the condition I'm in? Does she like, have the movie illness where she's sick, but she doesn't visibly look sick at all? No, she's lying. She, oh, she's, she's lying. She's a total hypochondriac because that's probably the only way she ever got a day off in her fucking life. So she she does it for attention. It's based on a play, and the character, the mom character played by uh, Lupe Ontiveros, feels so Ontiveros. incredibly real. Of like, oh, I I've seen this mom in action. Of yeah, oh oh, the things I do for my children. Don't you understand? Don't you respect me? And like guilting her and shaming her and. But she loves her. She loves her daughter, but she's so not helpful and they cannot connect with each other at all. And it was it's a lot of fun. It's I mean, that makes it sound like it's super serious and crying all the time and everything. No, it's actually like a lot of fun. It's a real good coming of age story. There's a lot of fun body positivity in a scene that's like, oh, my God, I've actually done that with my friends. I'm like, oh, you want to see cellulite? Oh, I will show you cellulite. Check this shit out. And yeah, America Ferrer's character just being like, look, I like the way I look. I'm a bigger girl. I've got rockin' tits. Why can't you just be fine with that? And the mom is like, yeah. Let's make sure to isolate Nyah. that for Diana's uh, sizzle reel. Oh, <laughs> I wish I had rockin' tits. <laughs> I got mosquito bites, man. <laughs> but yeah, it's for, for something that sounds like it should be fucking serious. It's a really like a really charming light fun movie giant recommend even if that sounds like it's a chick flick no it's it's not it's a kind of a common age film and an intergenerational thing mm -hmm. which it's a lot like ladybird in that it feels very relatable and real even if you're not you know a teenage girl in la like i said with the my big fat greek wedding i'm not greek but I could relate to a lot of it. And I think a lot of people could relate to real women have curves. Just like having the one parent that's just like, does not fucking get it, man. Well, yeah. we, let's make loved it hard pivot to something that is exactly not that. And is something I oh. desperately wish I liked more because within the last few hours I have done my 
annual Halloween rewatch of one of my favorite movies of all time, Ed Wood, written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, who I believe wrote this, but aren't the credited screenwriters. They're credited as producers. Mm. But at this point, they were became pretty notorious for seedy Hollywood biopics for people Hollywood usually doesn't give biopics for. But at the time, I loved Tim Burton. I loved Ed Wood, who he was. I loved Plan 9. I don't know anything about, at the the time this movie came out, I didn't know anything about this person or the thing he was involved in. I'll get into it in a second. Kurt Fuller, Michael E. Rogers, Ron Liebman, Maria Bello, Rita Wilson, Willem Dafoe, and Greg Kinnear in autofocus. The story (laughs) of the sexually promiscuous and unsolved murder of Bob Crane, star of Hogan's Heroes. Don't know Hogan's Heroes. What? I, maybe I wasn't aware of Paul Schrader, like a, a taxi oh. driver fame. Like, <laughs> so I knew Hogan's Heroes through like nerd osmosis. Yeah, right. I literally, never watched a show, but I knew yeah. you know some joke. Did you know there was a comedy set in a POW camp in World War II? You know, the natural place. I do. After for, watching for Paramount Plus, is the offer. Because God, yeah. is that the stupidest pitch meeting I've ever seen depicted in any movie ever? Because <laughs> right before Homeboy makes The Godfather, he makes Hogan's Heroes. That was wow. what that okay. was the producer's claim to fame pre Godfather. But I had no idea of Bob Crane before I watched this film. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know Hogan's from Hogan's Heroes. I was vaguely aware right. of Colonel Clink, and mostly because know? mostly because like Greg Kinnear won a lot of praise for his performance. But like, I don't know who this is. I don't know who right. he's depicting. I cannot tell you if this is a good performance. But I wanted. To, I bought this on DVD, watched it several times. Don't love it. Wish I loved it more. I would recommend it. Yeah. But I yeah, was going in too. completely blind, not knowing where the story was going, you know, uh, which is a great way to watch films. It's hard to do it because you should watch this film. What's it about? Well, if I Shut tell up. you, then <laughs> it ruins a lot of it. Just yeah. watch it. For this show, a lot of times I just like, okay, watching this, whatever. And then if it's good, I keep watching. If it's bad, I bow out after a while. But this drew me in. And I was like, oh, oh, that's where you're going. Because this <laughs> this is an examination of sexual addiction. Yep. And it's an examination of the relationship between two mainly heterosexual men and their sexual relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. not something I've seen explored in film. Right. And they really do have this heavily heavy sexual relationship with each other because they're all about helping each other score one more than the other but it's very much like watching some addicts who their relationship is we drink together Mm -hmm. except Mm -hmm. their addiction is sex and there's a group sex and filming and photography yes i was gonna say yeah there's a lot of the the voyeurism (laughs) and the replaying of things it's like and watching you other group sex on tv while you're having group sex at home and yeah mm-hmm. how it how how the media feeds the addiction yeah. is is really interesting part of this like you could just be a sex addict but you're like the, the ability to have early vhs and film mm-hmm. yourself adds to the addiction and it was amazing for the time it was such high tech you know it was for the time it no, was like it really oh my gosh we can record ourselves having sex and not have to send it to a third person to get it chemically treated and developed <laughs> and looked at we can just look at ourselves having sex right away that was yeah. like a superpower in 1966 and he uses that power to send himself down a spiral which he yeah. doesn't really get out of it. It really ruins his life. Yeah. Well, that's kind of Paul Schrader's jam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very tr- people with 
some sort of fatal flaw depravity spiraling mm-hmm. into depravity yeah now uh, this here's a, here's a uh, suggestion don't watch this last thing at night and go to bed <laughs> yeah, because that's what i did and spoiler alert someone gets murdered in their sleep <laughs> and <laughs> i literally laid in bed watching this when i first saw it like almost 20 years ago laid in bed watching it turned it off rolled over and tried to sleep Mm. And it's already disturbing enough, but just the like, did I lock the doors again? Oh God, I don't, I don't like feeling vulnerable now. This was a really bad idea. I should have watched this at noon. Hey, he was only killed by someone he trusted. So yeah. Yeah. Who eventually went to trial and was acquitted. Yep. But he went to trial like years, years after the event happened, when people had died, people had, uh, evidence had been lost. So, I mean, okay, here's the thing. This is a real story. The actor Bob Crane really did get murdered. We really don't know who killed him. The movie 100% says, he did it. The weird, creepy guy did it. The weird, creepy (laughs) guy absolutely did it, guys. Wait, Um, you you saying Willem Dafoe was being a creep in a movie and he might be a murderer? That may be what the film is hinting at, alluding to, (laughs) lightly. But, you know, in in real life, we don't really know, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I did listen to a brief podcast about some women who wrote a biography on Bob Crane and their review of this movie. And they have a ton of issues with it. Their point they make is Bob Crane recorded everything. Mm -hmm. He didn't just record his sex life. He kept diaries. He took photographs of everything in his home. He was like an early Instagrammer. Look at my lunch. Only he, you know, took Polaroids. A a real technophile, for real. Yeah, real technophile. Just loved recording things and recording sex was part and parcel of his greater thing of recording everything about his life. And according to them, his biographer, the sex aspect was not nearly as dominant in his real life as it's portrayed in the movie, Mm. which makes sense to me, because if you're going to tell me, hey, let's make a movie about a guy who records everything, some of which is sex. That's not going to be as compelling as, hey, <laughs> let's make a uh, movie about a famous Hollywood store who right. uh, recorded himself having sex a lot. And he got down into a downward spiral for that. So this gets into the question of when it's a real life story, because Bob Crane was a real man who really got murdered. How faithful do you have to be? Because mm. it's, it's I think the to changes say. they made make for a better movie. And, and of- as someone who loves Ed Wood, they very are very open about the changes they made to make it a better movie. Like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't totally matter. We like Ed Wood and want him to have a great ending. Sorry, even though that didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, there there is a point where you've made so many changes, you might as well just do a find and replace, change the names of the people, Mm -hmm. and make it a version of a story looking at you, blonde, looking right the fuck at you. Mm. You changed so much... Googling that was pretty shocking because, like, wow, that's just a thing that never happened. (laughs) Yeah. Never, ever happened. Holy shit. There's not even, like, loose evidence of this happening. (laughs) You can kind of combine evidence or combine incidents and they're thematically making sense. Okay. Yeah. It's a movie. You got to cut some stuff out. You got to combine other things. Yeah. Anyway, autofocus, total recommend. But, uh, yeah, not a fun time. And don't watch it with your parents. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, again, another movie I have it's a... interesting. And I think Greg Kinnear's fucking great in it. Yeah. That's what I... That's what, again, that's what I hear. I've always kind of liked Greg Kinnear. 
Hardy was a decent actor, but I don't have any frame of reference for Bob Crane. I don't know so, what he's doing. Yeah, I don't think you need to. You don't need yeah. one. It, just yeah. as an actor portraying a human being, I'd say he does a good job. He That is a fascinating character, which drew me in. Good acting. I can't tell you if it's accurate, and okay. I don't even know if that's relevant to his acting ability. See, now, now I feel yeah, like I'm I'm, I'm a real bad authority on like almost everything this week because the next movie has had an interesting reappraisal, and mm-hmm. I definitely remember as like being a buddy, a budding internet movie nerd, reading about every movie all the time and multiple takes on every movie. This movie bombed, but at the end of the year, people were like, everybody's wrong about this movie. And I watched it, <laughs> I, I bought it immediately, and like said at the time to no one, there's no Twitter, I don't agree. <laughs> but but it's, it's infamy has only grown since then, and people love this film. Uh, Eric, oh my God. Ebuani, am I saying that right? No, of course not. Maybe. Greg with two Gs, Henry, Peter Coyote, you know, from E.T. Uh, Rebecca Romaine Stamos and Antonio Banderas in Femme Fatale from Brian De Palma up to his old erotic thriller, thriller tricks. I do love that he basically, like, took a genre of character or even movie subgenre and just named it that. It'd be yeah. like calling it and, Die Hard on a Plane. Yeah, and the, well, they did Snakes on a Plane, man. Yeah. They demanded. Yes. Call that Snakes on a Plane. On no, a plane. don't call it Pacific Air Flight, blah, blah, blah. No. Snakes on a Plane. Snakes on a Boat. Yeah. This is interesting. The ads for this were pretty interesting in that a lot of them highlighted Brian De Palma, erotic thriller. Mm-hmm. It has an early trailer, which I think is fucking brilliant, which is here's the whole movie with the opening credits all the way through. It just it just goes really, really fast and it'll slow down for just a scene shot. Wow. Really fast. The whole thing to the ending credits. And they're like, we just showed you the whole movie. Did you catch that? No. Well, you better go to see it in the theater then. How do they because there's a quite a bit of nudity in this film for Rebecca Romain yeah. fans out there. Yeah, um, I just blow right past it. I so, guess. yeah, I mean, it's <sighs> me and De Palma don't get along so great, but I, I respect what he's doing here. I love that it opens up the filming at the Cannes Film Festival with mm-hmm. real people in Cannes for a jewel heist. And then there's double crossing. And then we fast forward later and there's like this mysterious woman that's married to this ambassador and there's no photos of her anywhere. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Antonio Banderas is a paparazzi like manages to get a photo and surprise oh no it's the it's the robber lady and now all her evil guys are after her and now there's there was erotic tension and thrilling and double crossing and triple crossing and then who was the bad guy did it really happen can you prove it didn't happen more Criswell please more twists <laughs> lots of twists yeah and I think yeah a lot of it I think is is actually a lot of fun because <laughs> I think the the idea of like you didn't get it is like is this supposed to be kind of cookie cutter? Like, are you commenting on the cookie cutterness because like she's so femi and fatale? Yeah, uh, I, don't, I, I don't yeah did not that did not work for me on that le- any level beyond nude Rebecca Romaine. That's <laughs> really it. Yeah, it's got. I I think overall it's got some fun parts, but like the meta commentary on film noir just never quite stuck with me which seems to be what a lot of people it attracts them to it for me and brian de palma it comes down to is that an homage are you doing something different or are you just like look i can do the hitchcock that's a lot of brian de palma's career and and i i'm like you've been hit or miss on that twisting it and doing something interesting with it and sometimes i really feel like 
I get it. You're showing off. We already know you can do this. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you saw Double Indemnity? Good for you. Uh, The only thing I read that I thought was really interesting is that, you know, Antonio Banderas, it was a significantly small part when he's arguably at the height of his, what he can command money-wise and on-screen time. But he wanted to direct and said, if you teach me how to direct while you do this, and like, why have I never heard a story like that before? Like, yeah, I'll learn how to direct from Brian fucking De Palma <laughs> for free by being in his movie. Holy shit. Guy doesn't even have a master class yet. <laughs> that, that is pretty cool. So, yeah, Fem Fatalis one, I, I, your mileage will definitely vary. I'd like to see in the comments or people just like, dude, you guys don't get it. This yeah, yeah, I would. I would seriously, I, I would love to see that because I hate. This has had numerous re-releases, special editions. I thought there was a unrated, more scintillating one, but I didn't couldn't find any information on that. I really thought that was the case. Maybe I just just because I picked up the unrated Snapcase version twenty years ago. But a movie that's uh, I don't think you'll hear a lot of disputes about its greatness just because it's undeniably it good. Sh- it should not be good. Yeah. this no. next one. Nobody of of all the musical vanity projects mm-hmm. ever made. This is the best. Kind of. Mic drop. Yeah. Oh, someone's never seen Mahogany. I've never heard of Mahogany. Two people haven't seen Mahogany. <laughs> I am so sorry, uh, Billy D. Eugene Bird, Michael Shannon, Anthony Mackie, Mackay Pfeiffer, Brittany Murphy, Kim Basinger, Basinger, and M&M, Mr. Marshall Mathers. It's number one at the box office, 8 Mile. You're the franchise, baby. The franchise? Yes. I'm taking the bus to work. On November 8th. Only ex-cons and welfare moms work at that plan, man. Every moment. All right, come on, man. How you feeling? Is it chance? If something's going to happen. It needs to happen now. To turn it around. What are you doing with your life that's so great? You better I'm feeling about you. You're gonna be great. You're calling your name. Just yeah, like there's part of that Curtis Hansen, those three movies of LA Confidential, Wonder Boys, and Eight Mile. Like these are fantastic late nineties, two thousands movies. And a guy I'm I'm not really familiar with any other much of his other work. River Wild, yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, River Wild. Oh, Hand the Rock's a Cradle, man. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where you started out. Yeah. Eight Mile. Very. It was, I mean, I remember being kind of stunned, like, this really does seem like a vanity project. This is just sort of a loosely yeah, adapted like he's biopic. He's making his own biopic, but I think it was a little different than that. I mean, yeah. the character could be named Neminem. <laughs> <laughs> he could be named Skittles. Yeah, Skittles. Skittles. Stories of Skittles. Skittles. Yeah, he's aspiring rapper. He's in Detroit. His mom's got problems. Uh, he, he wants to make his big break, but he's like the only white guy around with any talent. And everyone dumps on him, and his life kind of sucks. What's he going to do? And first of all, yeah, Eminem, solid actor. Yep. Haven't gotten to see him do much else. I hadn't he seen hated it. I've watched interviews. He did it. not like being an actor, and that's I'm why fine. we only saw him do like uh cameos or, or dressed interview. in dressed dressed as different characters he's making fun of in a fisheye lens it's the first time i've seen eminem on a regular lens before yeah i was trying to see like what this and funny people i think are the only times <laughs> we've seen eminem act where he's giving ray romano shit so and no one so calls funny. ray romano r and r in that scene i'm very upset thank you marshall he plays himself in the interview yes it comes oh, out right. as gay where he admits that he's gay which yeah. I, I've always given him props for that. That is just like, good on you, Eminem. Mm-hmm. Well, he threw the F slur around so much, mm-hmm. and Nick is thrown around in this movie too, but I like mean there's, there's a point 
The Borat. Uh, yeah, maybe. But there's the point where he differentiates. It's like, no, this guy is gay, but you're an Epsler. Like, oh, okay. I see where we're going with this. So anyway, yeah, I just found so much of this surprising because also it's not a glamorous biopic. No. He's a very passive character. Things happen to him. He does not make choices until the end. And then it feels like fucking triumphant, you know, you got the, the cool Rocky ending. And yeah, Kim Basinger, every, like everyone's really good. Kim I, that's, really that's good. What... Brittany Murphy, RIP, right. a really thankless character mm -hmm. because we're not really sure what her deal is. Like, she is not a good person, or is she? I just, She's, I, I don't know. I'm more, I'm more like Kim, Kim Basinger, someone like I grew up watching and being like, that is the prettiest lady I've ever seen. I love you, Vicki Vale. Mm -hmm. Wins an Oscar for Curtis Hansen's LA Confidential. And it's like, I never saw her again after that. Not even I've seen Cuba Gooding Jr. after his Oscar in things I'm embarrassed to say I saw. Kim Basinger sort of disappeared. This is like the most prominent role I remember her in post-Oscar. I didn't really see her used well again after this, other than 8 Mile. No, she's here and there. She's in smaller stuff that just probably didn't interest you. I'm sure you yeah, didn't I... care about I Dreamed of Africa. <laughs> no, def no one did. Nope. <laughs> I don't know what else to say except that a, holds up. Mm -hmm. B, everyone's really, really good in it. C, it is weird that he's such a passive character. Uh, I, it does not glamorize him. It doesn't make him look great. He, he and his friends are all pretty fucking stupid. And it has such a ridiculously good message in the end, though. It's like all, all of your weaknesses are different kinds of strengths. That is a hell of a fucking message. Like, I, I want to see more movies with, with that kind of idea. That Like, he goes into these rap battles and either he chokes or people just shit all over him. And mm -hmm. how he succeeds in the end is preempting the shitting all over. Like, let me tell Yeah, I live in a trailer park. I, I have dirtbag friends. My friend shot himself because he's an idiot. I suck. I work at the fucking factory. Everything <clears throat> blows. I, I wanted so, to make the notation. Technically, it's like... One of the only songs from 20 years ago, I'm my car died. I'm having to borrow my dad's car. Enduring a lot of clear channel iHeartRadio over-the-air radio, this song still gets played on the radio. But like... Dude, it's a classic. I know, but it's like... it this is. This song it, has been on my running playlist yeah. for 20 years for a reason. But it's it's it just... I'm just saying, it's, it's not just that it's a soundtrack song. It's a song sung by the character who's not Eminem in the movie. So, like, the only other thing I could think of is, like, that movie duets. I hear Huey Lewis and Gwyneth Paltrow's cruising together cover on your Delilah Light FM. I don't hear songs that were, like, done in movies by those characters other than that and Eminem <laughs> still on the radio. It, it may, maybe that we talked about that show, The Heights, Talk to an Angel. That is oh, a song performed by fictional that. characters. I think you're getting confused. He does not perform the song in the movie. Oh, I thought he did. Nope. No, he does not. We see him sort of writing <laughs> is, it. Is there a montage? Kind of I guess there's just a montage to it. Yeah, and and it's used through the film as a soundtrack. It's kind of the only soundtrack to mm. the film that's not just like pe music people are listening to on the radio. Okay. Yeah, it, scratch it, what it I plays said. over the. <laughs> it, it's literally not in the film. It plays over the the closing credits, but it feels like it's the culmination of the film. Yeah, I guess. Which, might as well yeah, be. I can see how you would remember it as being like, and then he performs "Lose Yourself" and everyone goes crazy. Yeah, and that's not how it goes. Just kind of weird because that's kind of how I remembered it too. 
But mm-hmm. yeah, I should mention the song first hip hop to win best song at the Oscars. Before Three Six Mafia. All right. I know. Before Three Six Mafia, he did not go and perform it. He waited 17 years and came back a couple of years ago to perform it. Everyone was very surprised. Right. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. I still sometimes hear that thing you do. That is a <laughs> fictional song oh, that's true. done by a fictional band. Yes. And I still sometimes hear it. This is oh, the, we're, we're encroaching on a laser time soundtrack, but I, we, I think we did that a, a year or two ago, like fictional fictional singers you can still hear on the radio. The Heights yeah. being my Archies. favorite one. What the Archies? Archies. Yeah, the Archies. Archies is totally yeah, sugar, sugar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I just I found this whole thing. It's just very surprising because you know it's a beloved soundtrack and it's a beloved movie for so many people. And then it's like rewatching again, realizing like I think my dad would like this. <laughs> like it's it's a good hard scrabble story that is very based in Detroit at a time when Detroit things were really going yeah. bad and things have only gotten worse. If you go and look at like filming locations, a lot of them are empty lots now. Wow. It does. Uh, it does have like a musical noir feel to like because I don't know of any, many other movies that spent that much time in Detroit to to linger mm-hmm. on those places. Yeah, to really, really spend the time on like mm-hmm. normal houses where people live, and then there's just a big gap in the row house, yeah. and then there's like another one falling apart, and yeah, and also Eight Mile is the perfect title for this mm-hmm. because let me get into the history a little bit. Eight Mile Road is the dividing line between white and black Detroit. Mm. Eight. Still to this day, but this is the history, the legacy of redlining, which is realtors and banks saying "Mm, black people can't live over here. And if you look at a demographic map of Detroit, you can see a straight line right through it. It's still fucking there. And you like look up what that is on Google Maps and say my road. And that becomes that is brought up several times. The Eminem's on the wrong side of eight mile road. And he's like, no, no, I'm not. Okay, maybe I am. Okay, no, I'm not. Shut up. <laughs> Rap is for everybody. I'll prove myself with the music in the moment. Or lose moment. myself in the moment. Spaghetti. <laughs> okay. My, my bottom line is, damn, this held up. Yeah. It's so much better than it should be. This should be stupid as hell. It should be Eminem trying to look cool and embarrassing everybody. And instead, dude, it's so grounded. It feels real. I care about the characters. Even Dirtbag Michael Shannon. Also, oh, I should mention classic film nerds and LA confidential fans there there is a setup in this that no one else is going to get there's a point where mm-hmm. Kim Basinger as his mom is watching a classic movie on TV while she's painting her nails and the movie's imitation of life first of all that movie is about black a black woman passing as white and her relationship with her mom but second of all that movie stars Lana Turner who was in LA Confidential as a character where she is accused of being a whore cut to look like Lana Turner, but it actually is Lana Turner, right. who is dating a mobster named Jan- Johnny Stompanato, and Lana Turner's Ooh. daughter stabbed Stompanato to death right around the time Imitation of Life came out. Wow. Besides it being a Lana Turner joke, I feel like Curtis Hansen is winking at us, being like Michael Shannon as uh, his mom's boyfriend. Yeah, and I'm about to throw down. And then they do, but no one gets stabbed. And I was sad. But it, it does seem like. Cause, the, the, not the casting, but Curtis Hansen coming on as director was pretty shocking at the time. Yeah. Like, nobody wants this this from Justin to Kelly movie built to cash in <laughs> on the most successful rapper, not white rapper, most successful rapper of all time, to make this vanity project for him. Why would you get Oscar winner or nominee Curtis Hansen? Oscar winner. And, adapted and, screenplay. Yeah, and, and this is why. This It's probably why it holds up. Like, a guy who... I think is too old to have an interest in the source material, but films it uh, tries to film it honestly the way he would any other profession in a bad area of town in a bad time and place. 
I mean, in a lot of ways, it's just Rocky, but about rap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's fair. Sorry with my lot of Lana Turner thing. But... No, no, no. That 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 because that's what I'm talking <laughs> about. Like he's making it. He doesn't expect Eminem fans to recognize Curtis Hansen, so he gave Curtis Hansen fans something to pay attention to in the Eminem movie. Come for the come for the yeah. Lana Turner uh, shout out. <laughs> I assure you, no one here to see Exhibit is going to get this. And yeah. <laughs> and then moving on to television in two thousand two, this was pretty shocking. Oh. Uh, Sopranos, one hell of a fight scene. Whoever did this. I Jr. I don't I don't, I don't, I don't eloquently say this. I was watching this week to week with my friends. We all mm-hmm. no one expected Ralphie to survive the third season, and then right. here he is in the fourth season, going through one of the worst thing that's ever happened to a human being in his life. This is what The Sopranos frequently does. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel really bad for characters right before it kills them. Yeah. You know, and it's a useful trick. So Ralphie was the most despicable character on the Sopranos at the time. And it was like, the audience does not like him. How can we possibly get them to feel any remorse for this character? Oh, I know. Let's have his son get brain damage. Sutton took an arrow to the knee. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And shoulders and brain. Stupidest game. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was a dumb kid. Yeah. Not cool. I did plenty of stupid games. I never fired arrows at each other and then had us try to catch the arrows with a box. Not not even once. Not even not William even Tell once. is that stupid. It's yeah. it's just very dumb. So you're at this time where you feel super bad for Ralphie, and I just love that scene. You killed this beautiful animal. No, I did not. But so what? <laughs> and <laughs> and there's great a scene. moment there. That's <laughs> the thing. That, yeah. Uh, to say that that's Tony's thing. Killing people. Well, sometimes they deserve it. Killing animals. Yeah. He loves animals. Mm-hmm. He loves the ducks so much. But the thing that gets him to attack Ralphie and start the fight that ends in Ralphie's death that is just... Ralphie points out, so what are you, a vegetarian now? You eat sausage and beef by the truckload. Bam! <laughs> That's when Tony punches him because he's exposing Tony's own hypocrisy and how Tony doesn't love animals. Tony uses animals to get what he wants, whether that's eating them or their affection. Mm-hmm. He is a mm-hmm. user, and once that fight happened, there was no way it's ending other than death. But a character you know is going to die dies at the point you have no idea this is coming. It's the middle of the fourth season. It's not even the finale. This is the Billy Bats moment because you sort of realize, I love how Sopranos, what, what do you call that? Uh, it capitalizes on things you know from other mafia movies. You don't kill mm-hmm. another made guy mm-hmm. without permission this is going to be a problem. And that hasn't really yeah. happened outside of the case of maybe Big Pussy, but they had their reasons. Exactly. And is this, and, does Christopher uh, bring this up? This Christopher brings up. Oh. Here's the problem, as I see it, with Ralph getting whacked. People could take it the wrong way. What are you trying to convey to me here? Friends of ours. Like it could happen to them without, you know, the protection of the boss. You're the only other one that knows about it. That's... That's super thing. cold. <laughs> yeah. You're the only yeah. other one who knows about this. Yeah. Yeah. Start talking. You're going to get, yeah. you'll, you'll get hit just like Joe Pesci did, and I'll probably be fine. But the key thing about this and why I loved re watching The Sopranos mm-hmm. more than just watching it the first time is because once you know, spoilers, guys, Tony kills Christopher, every excuse Tony gives for killing Ralphie could be used as an excuse for Tony killing Christopher 
at the end of the season. Mm. So when Christopher in this episode agrees with Tony, you're right. It was good. We're keeping this secret for the good of the business. He's mm. agreeing with the same logic for his own death years from now. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Definitely a made guy. But there are millions of dollars at stake. I've never hated a character so much. And then on rewatch, it's like, oh, sweet. Ralphie shows up. What an oh, I'd love to hate this guy. Ugh. Wonderful performance. Joey Pants. Joey Pants. Unbelievable. So good. Oh, and the whole time you're like, we know Joe Penaliano is bald. And they pick up his <laughs> severed head and his hair falls off. And Tony's like, you didn't know? It's like, no idea. Like, <laughs> and like, I'm so glad they addressed that. That's, that's been a wig the whole time. Hilarious. Anyway, moving on to the next program. Master Spy. The Robert Henson story, written by Norman Mailer. What? Yeah, what? I was surprised at this, too. So it's a made-for-TV movie about a real-life spy who was uh, charged and convicted of selling American secrets to the Soviet Union. Norman Mailer does not have many years left, and he went, I want to write this. Okay, mm. Norman, you go. Yeah. Oh, okay. And Wow, this is so weird. Yeah, and I didn't see that, but I remember trying to watch the Carrie TV movie and not being very interested. Uh, Angela Bettis, uh, Patricia Clarkson, Renee Sofer, Candace McClure, Emily DeRaven, Raven. Written by Brian Fuller. Yeah, wow. That's the thing that kind of got my attention. It was like, oh, well, he's just about to do like Dead Like Me and then Wonder Falls. Yeah, I would have had on. no idea who he is at this point. So Pushing daisies. Yeah, he, he's, he's a Star Trek writer at this point. Yeah, now he's rebooting as of fucking today. He's rebooting or prequelizing Friday the 13th. And I just remember reading that headline, Friday the 13th prequel series. Boo! Coming from Brian Fuller. What? Yes! <laughs> yes! I, I, I've never changed so quickly in a headline. The only guy to make a, pre a horror prequel in any way interesting, Brian Fuller. All okay. right. Well, I was a boo until you said that, yeah, and now the, I'm a yay. The Hannibal so. guy yeah. is coming to tell the story yeah. of the Voorhees. Mm. Sorry, Dan. Angela Bennett, though, about this film said, if I wasn't in it, I wouldn't watch it, which, <laughs> oh, ouch, ouch. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Patricia Clarkson wig out as Carrie's mom, though. She could do it. She's cool. But yeah, all the reviews were just like, well, this is stupid. And it was kind of a pilot to set up a series about like the aftermath and Carrie feeling bad about all those people she killed at prom, I guess. Who cares? No, fuck them. They deserved it. Hey, guess what? Also, here's Brian De Palma movie I do like. Fucking love Carrie. Yeah, Carrie's wonderful. Woo! Yeah, don't bother. Leave it alone. And then, like I teased earlier, 20 years ago in games, this is, it's usually like the 12th of November, but around these two and a half weeks, this is the most coveted spot in video game releases. And that's why you'll see kind of some heavy hitters here, such Ratchet, the first Ratchet and Clank. The first Ratchet and Clank. 20 years old. <laughs> I, I, I never replay those games. So every single one of them are kind of a graphical showcase on whatever system they're on. And so every old game looks like the last one I played. I am terrified to go back and play old old Ratchet and Clank games. Thankfully, I don't have the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's the beginning of Ratchet and Clank. You've mm -hmm. got a wide range of weapons, tons of gadgets. You've got to use them to defeat numerous enemies, solve puzzles on a variety of different planets. Mm. You know, this is its start, 100%. Everything that you love about the series is in larva state in this one. Mm. You get the one-two punch. Man, he's, this is an interesting couple of years. Harry Potter, The Chamber of Secrets. For PS1 and Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers on GBA. The only reason 
anyone remembers the Harry Potter PS1 games is because they are the most uncanny valley polygonal versions of Harry <laughs> Potter that you look at them and you're like, you're, you're like a second away from being an imperious curse and just dropping dead, right? That's I, what I'm seeing right here. I have only one observation I want to get out on one podcast. I just, today I picked the bones of what was left of Halloween merchandise and discounted it. And this is the year they tried to make Harry Potter a Halloween decoration. And boy, did it not take, from what I can tell, because most of what was on sale was all the Harry Potter characters inflatables holding pumpkins, which is not something we even associate with them. I associate them more with Christmas for some reason. I think that's usually because when I saw them, that was something I witnessed recently. Harry Potter and, and Halloween. I, I don't make the association, but they tried. They tried. And then one of my favorite series ever came back, I think, in one of the best ways, Shinobi for PS2 is out from Sega this week. A very decent reboot. He would get one more reboot on the 3DS, but this is a substantial one with that wonderful scarf and all the glorious dog killing you could ever want. There really is a lot of dog slashing in this, in this game. Ooh. It's synonymous with Shinobi. What are you going to do? And then you got the Sonic Mega Collection, one of the only places you could get Sonic 3 up until that recent aforementioned Sonic Origins collection that I said came out this year with Sonic 2. So Sonic's getting a Mega Collection does that feel like too fast 10 years after the fact i yeah, guess not you know it is it is crazy to me that there's only 10 years separating sonic from his very height of heights when he's at his absolute top of video game fame maybe mm -hmm. maybe the tv shows defeated that height but in terms of video games sonic 2 was huge and this is the game that is like okay all right uh, Mario, it, it's your show. We're happy to play with you. <laughs> I do like that this, it's one of the rare Sonic collections that has unlockable non-Sonic games, such as Com Comic Zone, and one of the worst games I've ever played, Flicky, which is the bird you end up releasing from robots when you hit them in Sonic. That was originally a character that had his own game all to himself, Flicky. Okay, and then moving on to a noteworthy book of 2002, between November 4th and the 10th, Nightwatch, Discworld 29 by Terry Pratchett. I'm assuming Diana put this here. Nope. nope. I know. This is all me. <laughs> I'm a huge Discworld fan. No. I absolutely love Terry Pratchett. This is probably my favorite Discworld book. The 29th? The 29th. It took 29 books to I'm kick saying. in. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of really good ones, but okay. Let me sell you to this, Chris. Okay. It's Les Mis meets Back to the Future. Okay. Whoa. Okay. I, so there's a revolution that happened in the main character's early life. Sam Vimes is head of the Ankh-Morpork Pork Police Department and called the Night Watch. And he's an old captain. He doesn't do the beat anymore. And then he gets sent back to his very first day on the job, which is when a revolution is happening in the city of Ankh-Morpork. Pork. Okay. All right. Look, I am sold. I will start with the first 28 books in addition to my normal 30, 20, 10 duties. But this week, I'm trying to catch up on the show One Piece to see that in theaters in 2022. And I'm five episodes in, and I have... 1,033 to go. 
before this week. So like, I'll, I'll let you know when I, I get to the Discworld books. But that about wraps up our 2002 segment. But you're not going to want to leave just yet because we have something pretty epic to talk about in the next segment. I think a movie I forget exists too often but means a great deal to me. But yeah, I cannot wait to talk about it. Don't move. We are going to close out with a... Is that the name of the... Bonnie and Clyde? Yep. O- O3 o- Bonnie O3 and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde by Jay-Z yep. and Beyonce. But stay right there. We got a big old Bond movie to talk about when we get back. I'm right over her shoulder when I'm off track. Mommy is keeping me focused. So let's lock this down like it's supposed to be. The O3 Bonnie and Clyde. Hope and B. Holla. All I need in this life is sin. It's me and my girlfriend. Me and my girlfriend. Down the ride to the very Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth watching. And for the week of November 4th through 10th, two old-timey recommendations. But not like standard old-timey, different old-timey. Turning both 70 years old and 50 years old, and I will explain that in a minute, is Charlie Chaplin's Limelight from 1952, technically which I think is probably his last great film. He did a couple more after that, but honestly, if you want to watch Countess from Hong Kong, you might as well just watch Dirty Rotten Scoundrels because that's the same thing, but better. But Limelight is about, he's kind of like playing a version of himself. He's, you know, like a old school stage clown, you know, who's got a drinking problem. And, you know, he meets this woman and saves her from wanting to kill herself. And then like, that kind of helps rebuild his life. And Tra- Chaplin's son, uh, Sidney, plays uh, a composer. And then there's kind of a love triangle. And it's got a bunch of other old-timey folks in it. So it's the only time you're going to see Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton share a scene together. And it's just, uh, that's just warms. Warms my cold, dead heart. And also, Norman Lloyd is in it. I forgot. We just lost him at, what, 100? No, 106. We just lost him. He was 106. Lost him last year. Yeah, Limelight. The reason I said 52 slash 72 is Charlie Chaplin was thrown out of the U.S. because he was too much of a lefty. They thought he was a communist. So he went over and to England and made movies. He made this and it was released in 52. But his movies were not released in the U.S. until 1972. It actually got a release here and got nominated for Oscars 20 years after the fact. Also, I think it was the 1972 Oscars when it finally got nominated that they gave Charlie Chaplin a Lifetime Achievement Award. And I really recommend you look that up on YouTube. It is one of the sweetest moments in Oscar history. He is so overwhelmed and such a loss for words. And, and you realize this guy's been at it for like 60 years at this point. And it's it's very sweet. So yeah, Limelight from usually it says 1952. Total recommend. And then also coming out this week, but 50 years ago for realsies, Louis Boonwell's Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie, which sort of... It vaguely connects to a movie, another French movie we're going to talk about for 2012, because it is absurdist and strange, and you never really know what is real and what's actually going on, but it stays interesting the whole time. The basic plot is people are trying to have a dinner party, <laughs> and a lot of shit gets in the way, and yeah, often very surreal, uh, like a terrorist shows up, and a place is closed, or a place has no food, or it's... Uh, yeah, it's a weird one. It's one that I remember as being very dreamlike. So 
yeah, that's kind of how surrealism works. It, it feels like a movie that I made up in my sleep. <laughs> it's it's very <laughs> it's very strange because yeah, it's surrealism. It's freaking Louis Bunuel. It's what he did. So yeah, light recommend on that, uh, especially if you like a movie that I will point out in the 2012 section. And that's it for this week's Stay Classic. Coming in at 2012 with uh, Some Nights by Fun, lowercase with a period, you know the fun, on the charts this week. Fun! Welcome to 2012, everyone, November 4th to the 10th. Other new new releases this week include Take Me Home by One Direction, uh, Take the Crown by Robbie Williams, Music from Another Dimension, uh, which is Aerosmith's most recent album. I think we're in the longest gap between Aerosmith. Wow. Albums. And they just refurbished the rock and roller coaster in Hollywood Studios. Uh <laughs> History, Function Music, uh, and History, Mob Music by E-40 and Too Short. Uh, it's a Man's World by Anastasia, Lotus by Christina Aguilera, Dos by Green Day, and Paradise by Lana Del Rey. One more night by Maroon 5 is still number one. A little bit of news to bring you into what's happening in 2012. Outside of pop culture, a guy named Barack Obama is re-elected as U.S. President, defeating Republican candidate Mitt Romney, who refuses to acknowledge his loss creates conspiracy <laughs> theories and doesn't concede. No, no, that's that, that's not what Republicans did 10 years ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. unlike uh, 2016 or 2020, this wasn't a nail-biter. I mean, you had to really, really believe when you looked at the polls that Romney wasn't going to lose to think this wasn't a shoe-in, but it pretty much was a shoe-in by election day. Yeah, economy's rebounding, things are going way better. He hasn't instituted total fucking socialism like they said he was going to. Yeah. You know, 2008, everything sucked. 2012, things are a lot better. Yeah. What yeah. am I complaining about? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And also, voters in Maine, Maryland, and Washington approve measures for same-sex marriage. Before it was law of the land, it seemed And then to... they collapsed into anarchy where they made all True. of the children gay marry each other. It's, it's just another one of those things I never get tired of pointing out my right-wing friends. Can you admit this didn't matter? <laughs> we had all these arguments and like anything you thought bad that was going to happen, like nothing. You never thought about it again after it happened. You never, <laughs> you never accidentally went to a gay wedding and had it interfere with your life in any way. Why do we have to have wedge issues like this? I hate it. Yep. Hate it. And then moving into 2012 uh, for movies, A Liar's Autobiography. You wanted it, to like this. Did you like this? Not you know, as much. You know, I saw this around the same time as like there was another multi-part python it was like a big time for python and i saw this in secession with a bunch of other stuff what didn't you like about it uh graham, uh, graham chapman john cleese terry gilliam michael palin eric Idle, and cameron diaz as sigmund freud in a liar's autobiography <laughs> so uh, it has like 21 different animation styles it cuts between them i found it to be a little disjointed i didn't think it did what it was supposed to i i thought it should have been either full-on more balls to the wall insanity and less of an attempt at an autobiography and that by kind of trying to combine the two it Mm -hmm. didn't work for me yeah i i was a bit disappointed because i i believe i have read graham chapman's autobiography which is called a liar's autobiography volume six (laughs) (laughs) and and, um you know is a lot of fun but yeah the whole point is 
he's he's telling his story but also making a ton of shit up and yeah it it seems like it could be basically a new monty python movie if they really fucking went for it but it's not made by them it's made by some other filmmakers who want to do all the animated stuff and it's like it's a, it's a noble a noble attempt you know i if you did a biopic of any of the pythons you shouldn't do it straight yeah you shouldn't. You should Don't do, do it, it like that uh, Daniel Radcliffe Weird Al biopic that I have not oh, yet seen. Oh, I was so seen. looking forward to that. Heard so many good things. And also out this week, Selma Blair and James D'Arcy in In Their Skin. And that is not the movie I was thinking it was. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not a Canadian-made home invasion thriller that's supposed to be eh. I, I bet everything turns out okay in the Canadian home invasion thriller. Everyone no, apologized. Door wasn't locked. Yeah. Nobody had a gun. Oh. <laughs> And uh, here's a movie I am. Here's the one I want to talk about. Wildly guilty of not having finished, despite being like having my mind blown by. But it was it is a little much if you're watching it too late at night. Uh, Kylie Minogue, Eva Mendez, uh, Edith Scoob, Dennis Levant, <laughs> Holy Motors, Holy Motors. By yeah. is this the French movie you were tying into? This uh... is the French movie okay. I'm tying in because this is some serious fucking surrealism, yes. and I it's kind of wonderful that it got made. And it's kind of wonderful that, like, yeah, critics ended up loving this and made it to a lot of top 10 lists. I feel bad I haven't gone back to rewatch it because I feel like I might get something out of it the second time. But it's written and directed by Leos Carax, who yes. just did Annette, which everyone who saw it loved it, but it's really fucking weird. Yes. Yeah, I remember and, that trailer. Yeah. And this is kind of the same. It's about a guy whose job it seems to be is to sit in a limo and be taken to places where then he has to act in a scene but like why for what <laughs> like why why does he have to get out of the limo and then like put on an outfit and pretend to be an old beggar woman <laughs> or you know a, a crazy guy who like kidnaps a model from a photo shoot in a cemetery and why what and I, the answer is, does it matter what, what i really liked about this as we are kind of in the infancy of the streaming era. This is critically lauded, is tearing up this festival circuit. I think, I know it came to San Francisco, but like my hometown, previous hometown, it wouldn't have come there. And it hits Netflix streaming almost immediately. And it's like, it became this surreal movie that probably would have been ignored if people didn't have almost instantaneous asterisk free access to it. And I think it became seen by way more people than the old theatrical model, than under the old theatrical model. But I don't think yeah. the same thing happened to Annette because even I was like, oh, I can't wait to see Annette. And I totally forgot it existed. Well, uh, the pandemic got in the way for me. We're just like, uh, do I need to see big screen? Right. I don't know. Right. But, yeah. But like, but bringing smaller, and let's be honest, more challenging movies to your home rather than making you gather the strength and friends to go out and see it. That's always been my hang up in seeing movies like Holy Motors. Disappointing people who know even less about it than I do. Whereas... Watching it at home was free and easy. Felt good. Yep. Felt good. Yeah. It's a uh, yeah. It's a weird one. It's yeah. <laughs> but but like some but it always feels like it's making a point about something. But <laughs> I don't know what it That's is. That's what I'm. So, I, I know I never finished it because it's like I don't really know what's happening here. But, but it doesn't matter. I've sort of enjoyed <laughs> the ride thus far, and I just never got back to it. Yeah, but I, I, I remember really championing it when I saw the trailer. There's a local bar that took their name from this movie. I love, it's an old gas station that turned into a bar. You now sit amongst the uh, pumps, and it's called Holy Motors. Uh, pretty neat. And then also this week, Imogene Poots. Is that how I say her name? Have I always? 
that's so unfortunate. I always feel like I'm mispronouncing it. Uh, Christopher Walken, Catherine Keener, and Philip Seymour Hoffman in a movie I have never, ever heard of, A Late Quartet. Yeah, well, it's because it's it's kind of Chris repellent because it's about a string quartet and oh! the people in it. Uh, yeah, so it's going to feel like Chris homework. I've seen a live string quartet. What's that famous one? Kronos? Yeah, yeah. Kronos Quartet. Kronos I saw them live. Cool. Yeah, yeah. No, it's totally about classes. this... Uh, Fancy string string quartet and Christopher Walken is their lead violinist, but he is diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and then he wants to put like one last big show and then there's maneuvering between the different people about like follow me on the key changes. Key of G <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I, I didn't watch this movie. I, I mm -hmm. watched a few clips of it. It seems to be an examination of a group of people trying to decide if they're friends or not because hmm. once christopher walken leaves it's not really a melodrama about oh he has this illness let's really explore a man getting sick that's brushed aside pretty quickly and it's more about okay the thing holding us together is leaving dying moving on do we have a friendship here mm -hmm. yeah i think e ebert's big point he made in his review is i just like watching movies about people who are really good at a thing yeah. caring about the thing 100 percent with ebert like yeah no, that that's true. So I feel bad. Yeah, I didn't get to a late quartet either. I'm sure all those are great actors. I'm sure they do a great job. This is probably not but worth. I was very distracted this week because, ah. whew, like, I I'm a big James Bond nerd. I'm um, not. And I have loved the Daniel Craig era so fucking much because it's the first time they have continuity. Yeah, they never did sequels before. Yeah, and no. here right right in the middle of Daniel Craig's five movie run, we get. Number three, coming after Quantum of Solace, which was disappointing and had some problems with it. Hey, Di, little bit of my background. I even asked yeah. my dad recently, like, were you not into James Bond? He's like, yeah, I was. And like, well, how come I never, you never showed me when he's like, I didn't? I'm like, no, you never took me to one. I mean, there was that like real big dry spell in the 80s and up until mm -hmm. Goldeneye. And, yeah. and I was talking, he's like, no, yeah, I grew up loving them as a kid. I'm surprised I never, so I kind of took myself through it. It wasn't very enjoyable to do alone, but I've seen roughly half guess what i didn't see quantum mm -hmm. of solace mm -hmm. and just so, so my perspective on this and please listen to mostly diana this is my favorite james bond movie i have ever seen and every i think every james bond movie that isn't more like this has been worse since i have not mm -hmm. liked any of the following james follow-up movies this is a this is the highest grossing unadjusted bond movie of all time one of the highest reviewed bond movies of all time and i just wanted to mention it is my favorite bond theme and i Call her Adelaide because it's somehow fun to me. I just learned like minutes ago, we've all been pronouncing her name wrong anyway. It's Huh Dale. It's whatever dialect of the village is from. That's how you're, we're, we've all been saying her name wrong anyway, hmm. according to her. Huh. I love that theme song. It won an Oscar. The only James Bond yeah. theme to win an Oscar. Yeah. First Bond song to finally win. And now they're three for three. Every time there's a Bond movie, the song wins a freaking Oscar. It is the only James Bond movie I've watched more than twice. I, I just think it's all around phenomenal it's oh, oh. everything that james bond movies are supposed to do done perfectly yes albert Finney, ben wishaw ray fines noemi noemi harris bernice bernice marlowe uh, Ber uh berenice berenice marlowe judy dench javier bardem and daniel craig number one of the box office this week it is sky fall Whoever did this, he knows us. He's one of us. 
that fall. Uh, okay, but yeah, that's the trailer with like the most the most dialogue in it. Every other trailer is just big ass action beats because there's a whole bunch of them and they're so cool. Because I'm a I'm a I don't really care that much about James Bond. I didn't see the previous film. Jr. was saying earlier about going into a movie blind. This is might be the blindest I've ever gone into a billion dollar movie. Like I just <laughs> I didn't have any idea what anything meant or where it was going. And the last thing I'll say about it before I turn it over to you guys, what I did appreciate about this Bond, I grew up watching the Pierce Brosnan stuff, wondering like people people like this, like just this goofy. He's always smiling. He never feels like he's in danger. From Casino Royale on, Daniel Craig gets his ass or balls kicked constantly he constantly looks hurt like he's getting hurt like he's performing in inc- the most incredible non-stupid stunts i've e- i've ever seen in like any movie up until latter fast and the furious watch this again the set pieces are amazing everything clicks i don't know that modern bond gets better than this the floor is now huge <laughs> so i still prefer casino royale as my number one bond movie of all time fair this is fair. number two by like that much mm. it is yeah close if you adjust for inflation skyfall is the most successful james bond film of all time right and also i believe specter and quantum of solace it costs significantly less than both those movies and if you know where the ending is going oh what an interesting personal take on this franchise to just move these two people into the middle of nowhere instead of like in an Aston Martin across an Italian villa. Mm-hmm. A, yeah. a really it's interesting that... way to move the series forward. Yeah, see, that's what I like because I feel like we get everything that we could possibly want. Yeah. All right, we've got we got world traveling. We mm-hmm. got action set pieces. We start out with in, in, you know, Istanbul and there's jumping a bike onto a train and there's a big fight on a train. And then, uh, you know, some people complain that a lot of the movie takes place in England and England is gray and boring. <laughs> and that's where it ends up. And I kind of like that too. It's like, it ends up with basically, fuck, we got no gadgets and everyone's coming. to Yes. And they're coming so to it, your home. It goes home. It goes home alone at the end. Yeah. And I love that. of just like, yeah, yeah now he actually has to use skills and ingenuity instead of having, you know, a whatever button. <laughs> and then in the middle, we, we go to Macau, we go to uh, battleship Island off of Japan, which is, I can't believe other people have not used that location. That place is crazy. It was like a mining facility that had like a hundred thousand people living there. And now it's all desolate and broken down. It's like, yeah, that's where you should put a bad guy there. That's fucking cool. And Mm -hmm. you got Javier Bardem as a former agent who is another kind of complaint is that this seems to be responding to the dark Knight a little bit. Mm -hmm. Javier Bardem is basically the Joker. Mm -hmm. Like similar hair. It's on record as being inspired by The Dark Knight. I believe the director was like, I saw The Dark Knight. I saw how realistic they made Batman. Let's make James Bond more realistic like that. Let's make it still balls to the wall crazy action, but it's got to be action that people can go, I believe this is happening. Yeah, it it looks like he's taking a punch. It looks like that car crashed into that bridge. It's nothing like the Pierce. Sorry, but this is the Sam Mendes' debut. That's what I meant to ask. Sam Sam Mendes' debut. Which is a super odd choice for a Bond movie. Which is a really odd choice. His previous two movies were Away We Go and Revolutionary Road. The only thing (laughs) actually he directed is Jarhead. And Road to Perdition. (laughs) And Road to Perdition and American Beauty. That's that's everything you've done up to this point. And he comes from the stage. 
And so people are like, can he do this heavy levels of action? There are yeah. going to be a bunch of set pieces where there's chasing, there's running, there's shooting, there's fighting, there's jumping, there's swimming, there's all this stuff. And he does a fantastic job because he, he really cares about the visuals so much so that he hires the single best cinematographer working today, Roger Deakins. Mm. And that elevates everything. Every shot in this is stunning. And then they frame action around the stunning. The, the fight that they have in front of the giant LED billboard with like jellyfish on it yeah. is uh, one of the coolest so fight scenes ever. Cool. I, I had never, I honestly am not a huge snob about this, but like I'd never been like, it, this, by the way, has been streaming on Netflix for years. I don't know exactly how they negotiated those rights because this is technically an Amazon character now. Yeah, yeah, he is. I really wanted to see this in 4K. And I could Ooh. see the difference of like, uh, this is what just standard 1080p looks like. I really would like to see this in 4K. Fuck. Especially that sequence. These, these beautiful, glowing, reflective surfaces in this neon light. It looks so good. It's like a better set piece than the, anything in the next two movies. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they have some little references thrown into other stuff because this is the 50th anniversary of Bond mm -hmm. yep. uh, on film. So James Bond. Bond. James Bond. <laughs> and, and so they have little things that could be too cute and end up working like that. He he has to, he steps on a Komodo dragon to jump out of something, which is like the live and let die where they had to run across the alligators or crocodiles or whatever the hell they are. Uh, yeah, little, little stuff like that. But Javier Bardem, he put in so much work. Like everything yeah. I've read about him was like he he wanted the script translated into Spanish so he could really get deep on the character and like timing out where he gives like sort of this big speech where he's walking across the room and like carefully choreographing. He wants to be at this point at this part of the speech. He kind of hits on Bond and Bond is like, shut up. Which is <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that I, I've really like about Daniel Craig uh, as Bond is just like, I don't care. Just whatever. I'll, I'll make out with a guy. Wh whatever. None of this bothers me. Don't you understand? I'm kind of dead inside. Yeah. See, <laughs> is the secret to James Bond that most movies, most James Bond movies don't realize, and a lot of the fans don't realize. James Bond is not a figure to wish you are. That's the outward persona. James Bond is a man who knows that he has no friends. He has no one who truly likes him. And he will most probably die in an unmarked grave. Yep. And the only person to be mildly upset will be his boss yeah. who will sigh and then instantly replace him. And, and disavow all of the work <laughs> he's ever done. If, if he goes public, it'll be to disparage the memory of everything he's done. Yeah. 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 That's James yeah. Bond fate. And, fate. and the women and the martinis and the fast cars are all just because he's trying to feel something before his inevitable death. That's I, I know I've said this yeah. a billion times, but Happy I never again. I, I, I never <laughs> I never read the books, but a buddy of mine who read the books was explaining to me like it got misinterpreted like he's a suave man with sophisticated taste. Like no, he had an unlimited charge card and his bosses are telling him like you're going to die. So yep. if I'm going to die, I'm going to rent the fanciest car. I'm going to go to the yep. fanciest places <laughs> and I'm going to abuse this because fuck my bosses. Yeah. Yep. And, and Daniel Craig yep. embodies that a little more, I think, than Timothy Dalton or Pierce Brosnan, who seem like smarmy yep. people I wouldn't like in real life. Yeah. A lot of the other James Bond, they smirk a little bit. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I, uh, from know, the beginning of Casino Royale, shake, you want that martini shaken or interrupted? Does it matter? 
Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter at all. Yeah. And that's part of what I like about uh I mean some of my favorite James Bond movies are ones that sort of comment on them being James Bond movies, Goldeneye mm -hmm. being the other one, where it's like the whole point of this one is Javier Bardem is a former agent and he is so fucking mad at Judy Dench yeah. and everything she put him through. And he just keeps telling James Bond, like, dude, this whole system is insanity. Look what it fucking did to me. We need no, all of this needs to stop. She she has gotten so many people killed. I fucking hate everything and everyone. And spoiler alert, this is kind of the, the only James Bond movie where he attains all of his goals. The bad guy huh. basically wins. Huh. Yeah, That's he right. basically he... wins. He he had a goal and uh he went about it. I mean, the Jokerification part is sort of like so much of his plan is is split second timing, and there's no way that any of that could like <laughs> he couldn't know right. that that train was gonna be where it was supposed to be and all that. But yeah, this is just him having a fucking vendetta against Judy Dench. Just and he's right. He's kind of <laughs> right. It's the job he signed up for. But yeah, being disposed is shitty. Yeah, he's right. A, a remarkably grounded multi hundred million, two hundred million dollar action movie, and it it still never ceases to astound me. I and I think because I like this the most, I probably won't like many other James Bond movies. And I have not. Mm -hmm. I, I've really not liked the the next two, and I was very much looking forward to them. I. Spectre, I think all of the Daniel Craig ones, even Spectre and Quantum of Solace are kind of the two disappointments. Mm -hmm. And they have really good parts. And then it's sort of, they can kind of have problems and then they like fall apart. No Time to Die, I, I quite enjoyed actually, because it, sure, yeah, yeah. it is where it's feels like, yeah, no, that's where this story was going to go. You, you've wrapped up everybody because it's the only one with continuity, even though Skyfall does stand out as you don't have to have seen the previous ones to get it you you get that james bond he works for the government eh, he kills people yeah mm -hmm. yeah it helps maybe a little bit to deepen the character because yeah having continuity actually gives him a little more character than just yeah. hi i'm here i'm being suave yeah and it gives it gives at least the craig era a little like i think des a desperation none of the other bonds have we're like mm. this could end up really bad for me and i'm aware of this whereas you don't get that from any of the other bonds. that wasn't even the point of those bonds he's supposed yeah, to be I a just, superhero yeah isn't but, it adorable the way you think you can kill me? But yeah, I think it's <laughs> it's sort attitude. of like a good John McClaneification of Bond. Just like you see him get hurt, you see him get damaged, you see him get tired and not wanting to do this anymore. And, and that's him at the end of every Bond yeah. movie is Daniel Craig going, I am never going to be in one of these goddamn films again <laughs> because I push myself yeah. to the absolute limit. I get hurt. Getting hurt on the film set, it's not just like, oh, I, I got a mild uh, headache and then I was fine the next day. You can often get hurt, as Brandon Frazier shows us, yeah. in a way that is going to hurt like literally hurt for the rest, the of, rest your of your life. You could be like, I am now in daily pain. It's... And yes, I've got fifteen million dollars in the bank in the bank, but I'm still in daily pain, guys. I, I love yeah. that you said does that it, because does like it a, a, buy a, you a new kneecap? No, it does not. As someone who loves people who sacrifice for wrestling, when you see people complain about this type of bond roll, it is like that. You are basically donating your knees and like ten ten to twenty years of comfort because some of these stunts and he's always wearing a sheer tight suit to, to mm -hmm. land on his knees on a moving freight train. I know it's not always him, but he does. A, you can damn, you can tell he does. He takes a lot of his own hits here, and it's got to take its toll on you. You're right. I love contextualizing it like that because most people, even me, are like, "Why does he hate this so much? What's the holdup, Daniel? Do more it's bonds. Hard. It's hard. It's really hard. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of moving parts, and you got to you know jump off the thing, land, hit your mark, shoot your cuffs." 
and not go like, ah. And these, <laughs> these are all things Connery never did. Like he was not taking these kinds of physical risks. Roger Moore. Oh boy. Those are fun <laughs> stunts. Are yeah. they not? But yeah, he's, he's now, is he third? He's been in the third most Bond movies, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But yeah, he's done, and I'm cool with that. Yeah, let's move on. Sure. He told a complete story with with the Daniel Craig Bond. You know, Casino Royale is literally his first job. Yeah, it it is tough for me to decide between this and Casino Royale, which one I like better. They're both just so real good. quick, mm-hmm. real quick. Sean Connery seven, Roger Moore seven, Daniel Craig five, Pierce Brosnan four, Timothy Dalton two, George Lazenby one, one and David one. Niven one. one. <laughs> David Niven. <laughs> You really want to? I wouldn't. Care. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Diana means by she says Casino Royale is her favorite. Yep. Yeah, I mean the '67 yeah. one yeah. Exactly. makes no sense. Yeah, Skyfall. It's high hard recommend. I'm kind of bummed that after it's 10 years we haven't we we haven't seen more action movies try to do what this one is doing. So many action movies don't have a theme. Really, they're just about action. This has a really clear theme. They're constantly talking about the old ways of doing things versus the new ways of doing things. And you have this movie from a 50-year-old franchise that's doing something new. The visuals. After this splendor. Mission Impossible out Bonds Bond, the yeah. last four movies yeah. they do, especially the the, no. the sixth one. I cannot wait for whatever the fuck is going on with seven, the death Mission Impossible, Deathly Hallows 1 and 2, whatever the fuck they're doing. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. And then also at the end of the day, if you're not a Bond fan, fucking good movie still, yeah. man. And still I'm works. not saying I'm not a Bond fan, but like I don't, I don't carry over this. I would at this point, I was stealing complimentary Blu-rays when they were releasing the Bond collections in unsequential box sets of three. God, what a fucking mean way to sell these movies. Yeah, because they know there's some that people don't want. Yeah, here you get Doctor No it's, and Tomorrow Never Dies and uh, like it's impulse buy. It's like hey. Some Bond film is everyone's favorite it's Bond true. film. It's true. Mm-hmm. This is mine. Yep. This is mine, Unless period. it's for your eyes only. I don't understand you. If it's for your <laughs> eyes only. Someone out there Somebody. saw it at the exact yeah. right age, and that's their favorite film. It's true. Yep. Yep. So, it's yeah, true. Skyfall. Goddamn. So, Amazing. So, my Biggest expectations were, were so overwhelmed. Of like, I just wanted an okay one. <laughs> Can we just go back to having okay Bond movies? And I was like, this is the most beautiful movie yeah. I've ever seen. Because it's one of those rare times where I feel like a young, like, what are all these old people talking about this franchise? This doesn't mean as much to me as it does to them. I don't know what's going on. And then I see Skyfall and like, okay, I'm going to go from the beginning and try and watch I fell out in the Roger Moore era, but I tried to watch them all because of how much I love Skyfall. So good. So good. Cannot recommend enough. It's on Netflix streaming now, uh, I believe. And yeah, you can stream it free on Netflix. So get it before Amazon locks it up and does whatever with it. No idea what's going to happen there. Oh, you know exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be an Amazon exclusive, and you're going to watch it on Prime, or you're oh, not going to watch it ever. It's going to be Chris Pratt as James Bond in a, <laughs> in a 10-episode series. It's again, that's that's the reason why this whole series took so long is because MGM was so bankrupt and could not get their shit together. So, I, I guess we call this do we call this a Sony era? This is the Sony era of Bond, even though I don't know if the last one was. They have to find other co producing partners because MGM yeah. is a dead studio with one of the biggest franchises in cinematic history. Mm hmm. And they can't, they can't ever get rid of it. It's yeah. the only thing that could prop them up. Yeah. 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 
Uh, that's why those mm-hmm. Hobbit movies came out so fucking weird because they landed the right. Anyway, Skyfall is, I think, our going to be our biggest recommend this week. Um, Fuck yeah. yeah, can't see anything else being better than that, except for maybe the season premiere, season three premiere of My Little Pony: Friendship Is Magic, The Crystal <laughs> Empire. <laughs> oh, the whole sequence in Macau is so beautiful. All right, so this is when Friendship Is Magic really starts to get into lore. It always had a little bit of that in season one and season two. Season three was when they kind of go like, wow, we have a lot of adult male fans who kind of like it when we talk like lore and world building and all this stuff. So let's lean into this. And this is a magical empire appears in the Arctic north of Equestria. And Princess Celestia needs Twilight and her friends to find a way to protect it. And yeah, this is just, I think, the beginning of the bronies bronies as a force in the show. Before (laughs) they were there from like near day one, it was always like, huh, that's an odd fan base. But this is when they start to be like influencing the show that is on the air. Is Is this right around the time the creator quits then, I'm guessing? I think it's a couple more seasons. I don't really know. But I... I did like My Little Pony. It mm-hmm. came at a point in my life. I actually started watching it sometime around then. It was when I had a two-year-old and a zero-year-old, and I was just so exhausted, just oh, like yeah. so incredibly tired. And it was like some bright, colorful show that my two-year-old could like watch a little bit, and I could actually like, wow, I don't hate this. This is not horrible. <laughs> This is not god-awful. So I I did watch like the first three or four seasons of My Little Pony. I would never call myself a brony. If you are, that's fine. It's just I never got that into it. But it was... There was something different. So this this is a real fandom. I was never really sure if this wasn't like a ironic Shrek love. There was real significant numbers of male adult fans of this show and i understand why because i watched other children's cartoon shows and they didn't have lore like this one Mm -hmm. not for very young children you're talking about you know your adventure times and whatever that's a different story but Mm -hmm. my little pony friendship and magic was aimed at young people and it still had world building and pretty decent characters so i get it man i understand okay and What's going on here? Homer Simpson goes Homer on Letterman? Homer goes on the David Letterman show. And this isn't Letterman appearing on The Simpsons. No, this is Homer Simpson appearing on David Letterman's show. Oh, God. Dan Castellanet is so good. And thanks for posting those clips <laughs> on the Laser Time Facebook about the L.A. Law episode. I'm really glad people got to see that. And you should do the same with this because uh, I, I actually don't know what this is yet. I, either I don't remember it or never saw it. Homer Simpson on David Letterman. You're looking even more yellow than ever, and thank you. How you doing, buddy? Oh, uh, I was told there was no chit-chat. But, you know, it's great to be here with you and your son, Paul. Thank you very much, my son, Paul. Good to see you, and thank you as well. Top ten reasons uh, I, Homer Simpson, proud to be an American. Number ten, ladies and gentlemen. My obesity rates make me feel better about my body. That's right. (laughs) Number nine. Warnings on cups tell you hot things are hot. (laughs) This is... All very good. Uh, my co-host can't hear it right now, but uh, was this done live? I believe it was live, yeah. Yeah, Dan Castellanet is so good. Oh. Yeah, he's, he's done a couple live readings as Homer, animated in real time. But yeah, Homer on Letterman 10 years ago. And am I reading this correctly? Love at the Thanksgiving Day Parade, a TV movie. Yes. 
Yes, because when I think of romance, I think of the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Dude. That is where <laughs> I, like, obviously, the most, most romantic time of the year, the place you will find the love to spend the rest of your life with, Thanksgiving Day Parades. Uh, yeah. I, I was at. in New York and went to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, and I guess I shouldn't have been shocked how much, any, all my local friends were like, I'm not fucking going there, you nuts. And it was kind of t- great for kids but everything was like mm. shoulder to shoulder you can't see shit the inside of every building is occupied anything that has a window is impossible to get close to it was kind of a nightmare shit show and i can't see any adult coming out of that anything but frustrated <laughs> <laughs> i had so, an okay uh, time it's it, the romance i was making a little fun of it, it is actually between the organizer Oh, of the Thanksgiving God. Day Parade. And uh. a consultant is brought in, and that mean consultant wants to make a profit out of the Thanksgiving <laughs> Day Parade. How no. dare they, sir? But then they find support in each other and fall for each other. Aww. 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 There aren't enough movies where that happens during the holidays. And also this week, Undercover Boss episode, uh, Tilted Kilt. Oh, so no. this is the only episode of undercover boss i ever watched naturally it was just on sometime and uh, i watched it in full and i will never forget tilted kilt is a restaurant where it's all about scantily clad women like hooters and Mm. they have their ceo go to a random tilted kilt thing and i will never forget the look on his face ceo of the whole, whole company cameras are running He's talking to one of the quasi-bouncers at the place, and the bouncer is going, yeah, man, I've worked at five different strip clubs. Girls here are treated worse than any strip club I've ever been in, ever. And the look on the CEO's face was just like... This was a bad idea. Yeah, this was a bad idea. (laughs) It's a bad idea. I want to get out of this. (laughs) But that is one thing I got to give it to Undercover Boss. You occasionally get those moments where it's like, you're finding something out. All right. (laughs) I learned so much from my experience at the... I'm fired? I'm fired. I'm fired from this job. Also out this week, I think one of the few... Battlestar Galactica things I did not see. The TV movie Battlestar Galactica Blood and Chrome. Right, because it's a prequel. Right. That was trying out. Maybe we can launch yeah. another uh, prequel series. See, that's the not problem, Caprica. They biffed the landing mm. so, so much with Battlestar Galactica that they kept trying to get the audience to come back. Oh, so Battle, Battlestar to... is over right now. Battlestar yeah. is okay. over. It, it finished 2009. With the second worst ending I've ever seen of any show I love. Oh, I didn't First hate goes that to much. Dexter. But what about second Lost? goes to Battlestar. <laughs> now, but, I'm, not, I'm uh, not with you on that. I, I did like some of the Battlestar ending, but 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 I, but I don't. But I had no interest in prequels. I really wanted more. To your credit, the ending explained a little further. I wanted to <laughs> learn about more whatever that was. Where did Starbuck go? Yeah, but so I didn't pick yeah. this up. I remember this being like a straight to DVD thing, but maybe it's just because I didn't have cable and I totally missed this. It could have been. It was. I, I can't imagine it wasn't both. But it looks like yeah, testing the. What do you call that? Stealth pilot. Caprica is a famous one season wonder uh, that I did watch, did not see Blood and Chrome. And then video games. Remember we told you this is one of the biggest times for video games of all all the year? Halo 4. The only Halo game I have oh, never oh. played in my life. Halo 4. Oh, poopy. I know anything with Halo in the name is a big deal and everyone should get out of the way. Yes, but it's the it's the first one 
not made by Bungie, the mm. people who had made ev like literally every other Halo game. And it didn't review poorly, but it also didn't review stellarly. And I know I have a sealed copy somewhere uh, on my person now. I just, I, I still have never touched it. I've never touched it. Not even in the Master Chief collection. Harvest Moon, a new beginning is on 3DS. Harvest Moon, the chillaxing little farming simulator that will never die. Thank you, Natsume. Yeah, uh, you know, this is, if you want it to go portable, it definitely delivers everything for Harvest Moon you could possibly want yep. in portable. It, That's it. it. That's so well suited for portable play. Just like nothing is all that urgent. Relax. Take care of stuff at your own speed. Shut the 3DS. Go to work. Go back to sleep. It's all good. Stardew Valley is not <laughs> far from being released at this point. And that's just going to blow these games out of the water because they had gotten into a huge rut, including this series. Yep. And then we also have History Legends of War. Diana, pay attention. Patton! Oh, Patton game in 2012 uh, for PS360 mm. and PC. This is basically the History Channel going, Wow. What if video <laughs> games? <laughs> And who's famous? Patton. Let's make his game. <laughs> I, I would wager that is not the most famous Patton in 2022. I don't, I don't know if people <laughs> remember the general as much as they do the guy from King of Queens. And then my one of the most disappointing games I've ever played, Paper Mario Sticker Star on 3DS. A series, the first two are among the greatest games ever made. Super Paper Mario, like, man, this is an interesting diversion. What is this? And this is, oh, this sucks. I hate this. Yeah. I hate this. This so Paper Mario fans are a series of fans as far as I can tell who are only rivaled by Star Wars fans in hating the majority of their series <laughs> because there the, you'll find Star Wars fans who like the prequels see four ninths of mm -hmm. their series. Yeah. You won't find many Paper Mario fans who love all of their Paper Mario games, and Sticker Star is one that gets hated on the most. It's the one that feels like, hey, you know how combat is kind of a major part of the game? What if we made you hate combat and do everything in your power to avoid it? Would that be fun? I, I wish I could no? explain it to Diana. It's like, you have to collect, you collect stickers, and then you're a they're your abilities. Like, previously, every RPG has a character that has innate abilities, and I don't have to find a thing in order to use it. What system and it only sucks because there's two mario rpgs happening concurrently and they nintendo seemingly decided they couldn't share an active time battle system and changed paper mario to this while mario and luigi kept the system i love from thousand year door and paper the original paper mario and the original mario rpg anyway hated this one or origami king i'm jr i'm happy to report as a course correction and it is much more fun uh, nice. Yeah, with that, uh, that is almost the end of our show. We're going to tell you who died and have a quiz you can play along with uh, to tell you who was born during this period of 302010. It's fun. Stick around for a second. Fast forward through my plugs if you need to, but not the patreon.com slash laser time one. You want to wrap up uh, the Charles Lee Ray saga of Chucky, Elm Street Nightmare Season 3. We finally did it, baby. Uh, should be on patreon.com slash laser time right now. Five bucks, over 100 extra podcasts movie commentaries way more stuff to come oh i want to tell you about my halloween adventures being able going to someone's house for, the, for a get together for like the first time in two and a half years holy shit it's why my voice is shot halloween was so great this year die where can people find you before my voice goes oh. they can find me on the twitter at listening nerd l-e-c-i-n-e-n-e-r-d or follow the show at 302010 podcast that's 302010 podcast coming up next week Oh my God, we've got a huge episode next week, starting with oh two weeks after Halloween. For some reason, Francis Ford Coppola is going to make a horror movie, and uh, 
He's going big. He's not going home. He is going big. We also have, uh, let's see if we can improve the Harry Potter series with version number two, episode number two of Harry Potter. Is it better than episode one? I really hated episode one. Also, Michael Moore is going to piss off everyone and he's pissing them off and they have guns. Oh dear. And on top of all of that, we're going to round out the Twilight Saga Oh, with a hell oh. of a fucking movie. <laughs> oh god. So so for someone like me who's barely paid attention, is that the last one worth watching just to be mystified by? Or should I bring Sarah back into this so she can yell about it? <laughs> I've got to throw in some things too. Oh, wait, and on top of that, uh, did I mention Daniel Day Lewis is gonna play Lincoln? <laughs> More importantly. And also, I think, JR, you better be bringing this up. What's happening on Futurama? The episode where everyone cries. Oh, Oh, I know the opening opening seconds of that one now. So I can just be like, no, I can't. can't." Also, the best Metroid game of all time. Oh. Also, the only appearance of a sitting vice president on television as themselves. Huh, I thought (laughs) I knew what it was, but now I'm not sure that I do. I can't. I was disappointed they didn't make out. (laughs) <laughs> I'll just throw that one out there and JR where can folks find you at they can find me on the twitter at J-R-R-A-L-L-S for now not for now until I, I quit in disgust I, yeah, I was making more fun of Elon Musk and not JR's twitter behavior I, I am probably going to take another social media fast after the election Ooh. just cut out all social media all news you try before the election <laughs> anywho who died during this period died 30 2010 November 4th to the 10th 30 2010 years ago only person I saw we lost was in 1992. We lost Chuck Connors, who was 71. He played the Rifleman on TV and was in like a ton of movies and a million billion TV shows. But I did not realize he is one of only 13 people in history to play in two different professional sports leagues yes. in the U.S. He was a famous was, baseball player who became a famous actor. Right. Well, first he was a a, a minors baseball player. Okay. Then he, then he became a basketball, basketball player. player. And then he became a baseball player. I, I became he was six six, and also he was kind of a snack. He had yeah. a jaw like a fucking Buick. Yeah, and and I became obsessed with him. I was watching a live show from Doctor Forster and TV's Frank. The Mads are back. Look them up; they're great. Mm-hmm. Chuck Connors Walk the Dark Streets. It's the best bad movie I've wanted to see remade. Two people <laughs> hunting them, hunting each other on the streets of L.A., but one person doesn't know they're being hunted to the death on the active streets of Los Angeles. Ooh. It's an interesting concept. They get there in a weird way, but it starred Chuck Connors. And like, yeah, a, not only a huge star, I was looking like 30 years ago, the Family Channel, The Rifleman is still a big hit, a show from the 50s, <laughs> and they air a Rifleman marathon in our lifetime. <laughs> In honor of the fallen Chuck Connors <laughs> wow. on the Family Channel. Remember that, folks? The the Christian Channel, but also the channel where you solve all your problems with the Rifleman. Uh, with that out of the way, we got to talk about what, Jr. Uh, the b- b- birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. All right. They passed away in 2008, but they would be turning 90. 90. Born November 10th. Heath Ledger. No, sorry. Keep going. (laughs) 1932 in Orange, New Jersey. Damn it. Diana's going to get anybody over 70. We all know where this is going. (laughs) They served three years in the United States Air Force as a first lieutenant in air operations from 1955 to 1958, and then was a reservist captain. Oh. 
I'm going to go in reverse order. These are all films that we have talked about. On 30-2010. Films On 30-2010. Films we've spoken. Chain of Command in the year 2000. Uh, Rainmaker, 1997. Ending of Sequest, DSV, oh, 1996. <laughs> Naked Lunch, 1991. Jaws the Revenge, 1987. Yes. Does he actually appear in Jaws the Revenge? Or is there a picture of him on a wall? Uh, it says archive footage oh, in, God damn it. Uh, uh-huh. in uh, Internet Movie Database. So. Uh-huh. Roy Scheider. Okay. Yep. Oh, yep. He died in 08. <laughs> yeah. And I was going to also mention All That Jazz from 1979, oh, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. And he does the most incredible. amazing acting job in that it just blows me away every time it's such a meditation on a man addicted to sex drugs and musical theater and i, I want to give oh, a shout out i didn't know he so died good. that recently because like you know i feel like i've barely seen him in a movie i, I don't think i've seen him in like a a, a digital shot before he kind of stopped working long before that didn't really do tv but like being a classic movie fan and he pops up because we're all people weaned on jaws that's where we know mm-hmm. roy scheider from like oh fuck he's in the french connection i forgot so i'm recommending sorcerer the wages of fear mm. remake from william friedkin which is just as dangerous to look to look at as french connection no one ever talks about it it is a great remake a beautiful dangerous looking movie i don't know why it's called sorcerer but it's a uh, like the name of the truck but it's about people who have to excavate and move sweating dynamite one mile an hour through the jungles of South America through unpaved roads with no guardrails. One bump could send them all to Jupiter. And it's, it's unbelievably yeah. tense, a low speed chase. It's wonderful. Oh yeah. I, I rewatched all that jazz a little while ago. Cause there was that, the Fosse Verdon miniseries. Mm-hmm. And it was like, there's so much stuff coming up from his real life that I remember from all that jazz. <laughs> I wanted to watch them together and just be like, God damn, Scheider's great in that. And so, like, so good. The death scene that sticks out in my mind more than any other death scene I can think of. Just that mm. huge musical number leading up to the end yeah. just is amazing. Yeah. Love that movie. Yeah. yeah. So, yay, happy would-be birthday, Ray Scheider. You're cool. Would you? This is fun. You want to know what his last performance was in? <laughs> yes. Family Guy. <laughs> Playing himself it. as a <laughs> toilet instructional video <laughs> so, spokesman. Crazy. Aww. Because seriously, I'm shocked. I, this, I grew up watching this guy like every summer in one movie and never seeing him in anything else. Not one thing. Mm-hmm. Roy Scheider. Love him. <laughs> With that, our show is complete. Tell a friend. Patreon.com slash laser time. Let's close out with Skyfall by Hadale, which he said is how you pronounce her name. Hardale. With a huh. Hadale. Hadale. You probably have to have a certain colloquial accent. And... Some sort of Cornish Celtic. Hadale. I can't even do it. Look, there's I pronounced the No Effects album. I'm not getting in any more trouble this episode. Take us out, Adelaide, and we will see you next week. Let the sky fall and the crumb.